Welcome to Herbal Hour, the podcast for those inspired by nature. I'm your host, Dr. Bogdan, and I'm a licensed naturopath and traditional herbalist practicing in the lovely state of Oregon, bringing you organic discussions with experts in natural medicine, alternative therapies, and holistic mental health. Hippocrates taught us that the doctor treats, but it is nature that heals. So take a deep breath and get comfortable. That's why we hope you enjoy our conversations over a cup of the finest herbal tea. Because in nature, it's always herbal hour. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. I want to make a special shout out to a podcast listener who uh, attended one of the Sacred Sophia Academy uh, courses that we taught on astrology this past weekend and made a really generous donation. So thank you so much, Shira, and thanks for listening to the Herbal Hour podcast. Without further ado, let us get into our episode. This week, I sit down for a chat with a nutritionist that specializes in dietary and lifestyle approaches for autoimmune conditions. She is founder of Nutrition for Autoimmunity, a health company that empowers people with autoimmunity through using food as medicine. She earned a degree in Master's of Science in Nutrition from my favorite school of all time that I'm an alumni of, NUNM. Her name is Stephanie Sparing, and this week... We have a conversation about therapeutic diets, gut autoimmunity, obstacles to dietary changes, our favorite green smoothie recipes, and share personal experiences and tips on using food as medicine. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Herbal Hour podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let us welcome nutritionist Stephanie Sparing. And let's start this off with a simple question. Why nutrition for autoimmunity? Uh, nutrition was always a love language when I was growing up uh, for my mom. She showed us her love through uh, those tablespoons of cod liver oil mm. in the morning <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh-huh. and uh, making sure we had, you know, not a lot of junk food in the house and things like that. But um, as I got older in life, I found that I was, I got very, very sick and um, nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. I, I had a couple years of uh, testing and thinking it was all in my head and diagnosed with a lot of things very strange things that were not the case. And then um, eventually I got diagnosed uh, with osteoporosis at age 30, which was odd at age 30, considering that I was a very healthy, uh, I thought it was a very healthy individual. And uh, that continued on to where I found out that um, I had SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. And um, then I found out that I had mast cell activation syndrome. And uh, then they, they concluded that uh, through some testing that I have, I'm celiac. And so mm. through that journey, um, I found the only reason that I got better was with the help of some great naturopaths, acupuncturists, my chiropractor, and um, nutrition. And after being told that I was, it was all in my head for such a long time, I really wanted to help other people never have to go through what I went through and show them that they could take back their life, take back their health and feel amazing again, um, through nutrition. And, uh, I would have gotten my nutrition degree sooner. Um, but the master's in uh, nutrition at NUNM didn't come about until 2013. Mm -hmm. And so at, in 2013, I was actually, um, having my twins. <laughs> so, once they started kindergarten, I decided to go and get my degree. And that's where I met uh, Dr. Zwicky in the program, who has her PhD in immunology. And she explained uh, immunology in a way that was just a beautiful, very, very um, 
in a way that anybody could understand. And it really made me want to focus wholly on that because I feel that there's so many people. I, I, last time I saw that over 80 million people, they believe, have autoimmune disease in the United States alone. 80 million people. That's one of the statistics that I read. It's like almost like a, that's like a quarter of all people have an autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. And many of those are undiagnosed. They don't know that they have them. Um, and so once she explained all this to me, I was really, I said, I, I just want to focus on autoimmune disease. And I, I went over different names and it was actually Dr. Zwicky that helped me with this name. I, we were, we played around with it for a while. And I like it. I like it a lot. It sounds like it could be like an institute or something. So maybe that's <laughs> maybe someday future. Well, yes. you know, if you come up with some, uh, discoveries in, in, in that area, then uh, it certainly would be worth uh, sharing. So first thing, love uh, Dr. Zwicky uh, and the naturopathic program. We had uh, several immunology classes with her. She's very kind of uh, positive minded, uh, curious, uh, uh, quirky, but and has a holistic mindset but she comes at it with like hard scientific research. So it's like, she's saying something that, you know, you would think is more along the veins of like how alternative health practitioners or uh, practitioners who do holistic health view it, but she has all that backing where she talks about the different, you know, uh, like TH responses, like T cell responses, autoimmunity, how the immune system works and how all these things that we kind of intuitively grasp uh, can actually be explained through, you know, physiology, uh, physiology and anatomy and, and things like that. Um, That's great. It doesn't matter what question you ask her. She can just spout off the answer quite easily and let you know. And it seems so obvious. <laughs> she says it. Yeah. We were talking a little bit before we, uh, before we started this uh, episode that she uh, uh, surprised both of us with kind of like mind blowing facts. Um, Mm -hmm. What was one of those, you know, mind blowing things she said, and and then let's explore more into it. Well, um, one thing was that uh, the prerequisite for autoimmune disease is really gut dysbiosis. And that was that really blew blew my mind. I uh, didn't I didn't think about it that way. And then also another thing is, um, you know, how around eighty percent of our immune systems in our gut. Mm. And when you put those two things together, it makes a lot of sense. A mm. thing uh, I found interesting that we we also uh, spoke on was uh, this connection between the the mind and psychology uh, mm. and the immune system and inflammation. Uh, where certain inflammatory compounds released when you're sick actually affect your mood. So it can make you depressed or anxious. And we Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, we spoke on the fact that uh, there's a kind of evolutionary advantage to it, right? Because when you're not feeling well, uh, your immune system releases these chemicals that tells you to, you know, to rest, to to isolate yourself, to take it easy, to relax. Um, Mm -hmm. What's, what's your view on, on that, on how uh, mood is affected by autoimmune conditions or uh, by the immune system? Maybe you have any personal experiences, things you've noticed? Well, when I think about how the immune system affects us, one thing is um, when you're feeling anxious or sad or feeling out of sorts, um, a lot of times I'll relate that back to the food that I ate. 
And so when you think about sugar and how it causes inflammation in your body, and then I think about how um, interleukin-6 can cause anxiety. Sometimes I'll realize, oh, I had sugar the night before and I'm having a big anxiety spike. Or um, when somebody's going through a flare in their autoimmune disease, their body is very inflamed. And so they don't just have the stress of feeling really horrible, but they also have all this inflammation in their body that can cause things like interleukin-6 and interleukin-10 for them to feel anxious and depressed. And it's just kind of a, a cyclical situation mm -hmm. where it can just, without knowing what to do about that, without knowing what food to put in your body and what to remove from your body, it can just progress from there. Does that make sense? Yeah. And uh, to tell somebody that their experience, that their health is, you know, all in their minds. Um, I can see why that could be so kind of devastating because uh, not only is it in a lot of cases, not true because there's a lot mm -hmm. of physiological factors for, for everything. We're, we're uh, talking about uh, interleukins, uh, inflammatory compounds, your, your body releases as part of an immune response. Um, it, that connection exists there uh, with, the immune system and how the body uh, responds to stress and disease and things like that. And it affects our mood. So how can you talk about, you know, health of the mind without talking about health of the body? Mm -hmm. right? And it's explaining to, and explaining to the clients that I talk to that the mind gut connection is very real and what we put in our bodies does affect the way we feel and vice versa. And it affects the way sometimes we, the food that we crave. Um, and so I think, I think that in general, a lot of people are starting to, the information's out there for people to understand that the mind and the gut are connected. But many times when I talk to people, it's kind of mind blowing when we talk about it. Mm -hmm. So of course, a, a large part of your work is uh, helping people out with improving their nutrition as a, mm -hmm. uh, as a way to better health. Uh, what are some of your uh, go-to uh, therapies, uh, diets, uh, and nutritional advice for dealing with the whole, you know, plethora of autoimmune conditions like thyroid issues, celiac disease, uh, uh, and those kind of things. IBD. There's yeah. IBD, there's over yeah. yeah. There's over eighty immune autoimmune diseases. So there's so many to choose from. Um, <laughs> You know, one of the things, first things I ask people, well, there's lots of things I ask people, but one of the first things I, I check on, I don't just look at the nutrition, I look at their stress levels. And that's something mm. that you and I talked about before. Mm. I ask them what's going on in their lives. And is there a time when their symptoms aren't as, as, as poor as when they are, you know, when they're at their job, are they usually flared? Is mm. What's the source of the stress? To try to figure that out too. Um, because if figuring out what the stress uh, figuring out what is causing some of the symptoms and sometimes it could be stress related. Is there a way to remove that stress or lessen it? Another thing, living in the Pacific Northwest, I ask about their vitamin D. Mm. Um, are they taking vitamin D? When was the last time they had their vitamin D checked? It's such an important component of uh, immune health. Uh, and in general, the Pacific Northwest, we tend to have very low vitamin D. Um, mm. So especially during the kind of like February, January. Um, yes. I've made a resolution that I'm going to leave Portland for those two months. Uh, go somewhere sunny. <laughs> I just can't, I can't do it. I've been here for, you know, met, I don't even know, six years now. And uh, yeah. the first year was definitely the worst. Uh, and then I got better, but it's, it's not a, yeah. For people who don't know much about the area, it, for like a few months of the year, it's like constantly overcast. <laughs> 
on like the verge of raining, but doesn't rain. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah you just kind of, la- you miss out on the sun and stuff. Plants love it here though. I mean, there's so much oh, yes. rain and stuff and, uh, it's a like, green pretty much all year round, which is amazing. So I, I grew up uh, in New York most of my life. And there, when you go to the winter, you see, you know, the trees and no leaves on it, but, but here you see, it's just plants are just living their, their best life out here in the Pacific Northwest. Humans yeah, need to get more sun though, like you said. Yes. It's like neon green out here a lot of the time. Um, so I look at the vitamin D, I look at stress levels. I also look at sleep. That's just one of the things I, I ask them about because um, stress, sleep, they, they're interrelated and it can really affect your immune system. Um, nutritionally, I, you know, a lot of times with my clients, I ask to, for them to do a five-day diet diary so I can kind of do a full analysis of what's going on. Something that's not as well-known and something that's pretty common, at least in Portland, is that a lot of times I'll find that a lot of the people that come to me have already tried a lot of other diets. And they're pretty healthy in general because they've tried a lot of things. And um, a lot of times they end up being on ultra or, you know, ultra times two omega three. And when I look at their fatty acid, you know, and when I look at their diet, I find that they have almost no omega six in their diet. Hmm. And then we have to have a discussion about how if you have too much omega three and not enough omega six, you can have just as much inflammation Hmm. as if you have too much of the opposite. That kind so, of goes against the popular idea of, you know, fish oil in infinite yes. quantities is the, is the way to go. Yes. Um, and that's not the way to go. And I, and I tell, and I tell them, I'm like, you know, for most, many, not most, many Americans are on what's called the sad diet, this, you know, standard American diet. Very sad. And, and yeah, very sad. And as a result, their omega-6 are very, very, very high and very out of balance. Right. So they benefit and, from the omega-3. So for somebody absolutely. who doesn't have a great diet, fish oil amazing for someone who has a good diet fish oil good too but for somebody who eats fish like all day every day and never touches anything that's fried or anything any um, processed foods none of that then we have to kind of say hey and so sometimes i end up telling people unless their provider specifically put them on it because i always ask that too which and that's another question i ask a lot of um, clients is i say which of these supplements because a lot of times they'll have like 20 which are the ones your provider put you on and which are the ones your friends put you yeah. on? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I noticed that a lot with, uh, <laughs> with my patients and it's, it's great. Cause that, I think that's the, you know, they're interested in their health and they're, it, mm-hmm. they're interested in different approaches and supplementation and, uh, things that they can take from nature to make themselves more healthy. It kind of makes my job way easier because they're already, uh, pretty much a good, like 90% are uh, self-selecting supplements and things that uh, they're mm-hmm. using. And a lot of times they come in to uh, kind of ask, like, it does, is that the right dosage? Am I doing the right thing? And then, uh, so that, so that part is great, but then you also have the issue uh, you're alluding to where uh, some people, I don't really have any patients. I noticed when I was in NUNM in the clinic, uh, then I noticed that people will come in like lists of like 25 obscure uh, supplements they're taking. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but mm-hmm. it is um, if you don't know the whys behind it, like, why are you taking this? Why are you taking that? Mm-hmm. Because if it's like, I'm taking A, B, C, D, E, F, G, <laughs> um, and somebody's like, well, why, why are you taking all those letters? Uh, and they say, oh, well, they're anti-inflammatory. Um, and as you might know, just like 
inflammation is not inherently bad and anti-inflammatory is not inherently good. It generally is the case that that's the case based on the circumstances, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, you need inflammation. You know, if you're fighting off some kind of illness or uh, Mm -hmm. you need it, you need it to heal uh, you, you need inflammation. So uh, mm-hmm. a person without any inflammation at all in their body, even a little bit, it sounds like they don't even have an immune system. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing I look at is water intake. It sounds like such a simple thing, you know, but stay hydrated, a lot of times, stay, stay hydrated, hydrated guys, <laughs> drink and a glass of water right here. No. <laughs> Exactly. I, I, I always, I love when people say that in like podcasts I listen to because like, I'll actually go, Oh yeah, I'm actually, I'm pretty, I'm pretty thirsty right now. Yeah. <laughs> if you, if you don't see the video. She's, she's taking a sip right now. I wish I had a cup of water. Now. Sorry. Sorry. Exactly. For, <laughs> no, you're totally fine. Derailing your- um, no, you're good. Um, I asked them that the water thing. And, and another thing I asked them about is their, is their bowel movements. And it's so funny because people get a little embarrassed. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, Poop is part of our conversation. Like, let's just get over that because every time we're going to talk, that's one of the first questions I'm going to ask you is how is it going? Because if they're not going often enough, then that's a problem. You need to make sure that they're getting rid of everything they need to, or if they're going too often, that's a problem. That could be an elimination of, of toxins else. and yes. uh, absorption of nutrients. Right. So mm-hmm. you can probably speak to this in, in great detail. Um, different kinds of uh, gut conditions, uh, you know, like IBS, IBD, Mm-hmm. Uh, celiac particularly uh mm-hmm. they uh a person who's uh, suffering from that uh, condition or that disease process they could be eating all the right foods right they could be eating tons of vegetables steamed vegetables drinking smoothies and shakes getting plenty of protein eating good carbs uh like low mm-hmm. glycemic and they could be doing exercise and everything but if their gut lining is like a battlefield it exactly. just all kind of passes in uh, it passes through without being absorbed. So they, uh, that that's a really fascinating phenomenon I've, I've seen before people with celiacs that they have like uh, severe vitamin deficiencies, like, and not in the kind of uh, general sense of like a, not getting enough, but like where it's like a medical issue that they don't have enough. Mm-hmm. And, but they're, but they're even taking supplements and things like that for it. So uh, I had a, a friend a long time ago that um, has celiac severely, and you can have it in different uh, you know, you, people can have it a lot worse than other people. Um, something I don't know if people knew, some people can have it where she would walk into a field and literally she would be out for a week if it had wheat anywhere and then it blew gently in her in her area. Um, and when she was in the hospital trying to figure out what was going on, they were feeding her cream of wheat. Oh, God. <laughs> and I just, but that was, you know, that's 20 years ago. So things Ouch. have changed a lot since then. So when I think about that, so so yeah, so one of the things I look at, I look at what, you know, I look at what the my my clients are eating currently, like the five-day diet diary. I look at what vitamins, what they're on, uh, how much water, how much sleep, stress, exercise. And so we kind of just go through all of those things to, mm-hmm. to see where they're at as a good baseline. And and another big thing I always do is to say, what has worked for you mm-hmm. and what hasn't worked for you? Because let's not recreate the wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's the beauty of, uh, just generally, uh, you know, our field of what I'll call like holistic practitioners or natural medicine practitioners is that we like to have uh, longer visits, 30, 45 minutes, an hour, et cetera. So we can kind of really investigate on a deeper level than if you just came in. I mean, getting like an accurate diet from somebody could take 10, 15, 30 minutes, sometimes just that one piece. Um, 
So it's super important to, uh, to kind of be a, be a team for the health so that they're looking mm-hmm. into it. You're looking into it. You're discussing it. I kind of view it when uh, patients come in is that, you know, uh, we're both like detectives and like they come in and we're kind of, you know, going back and forth, trying to figure out, uh, focused on, on their health, what's going on with kind of like an open mind. Um, you, uh, in your work, you use the autoimmune protocol diet, mm-hmm. uh, AIP. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit to that? Uh, what is that? How do you do it? Any research? Yeah, absolutely. So I got certified in the autoimmune protocol. Um, gosh, I think it was November. It was an eight-week program. And the reason that I actually ended up getting certified in it was because I actually tried it myself because I was going through a flare. You'll hear that a lot from people with autoimmune issues. They'll say that they're going through a flare. They're mm. basically means they're in, they're in a lot of pain mm-hmm. <laughs> of one sort or another. And as a result, um, I tried it and it didn't work for me. And so I thought, you know, I must be doing something wrong. I want to do, I want to learn all about this. And it's a, it's a, it's basically, it's a more restrictive version of the paleo diet. And it's, Something that there's been a lot of research, uh, the people that I think Mickey Trescott is the, one of the people that, um, worked with another woman named Sarah, I forget her last name. Uh, they, they created this diet. They created, uh, there's a whole book on it. That's absolutely lovely. And it eliminates a bunch of different foods, uh, including like there's grains and dairy and legumes and eggs and, um, all sugars and several other things. And you do that for a minimum of 30 days and up to 90 days. Now, why 30 to 90? So it's basically, it's a, it's a very strict elimination diet. And during that time, um, there's all things that go into it to prepare you for this diet. But when you do that, a lot of times people are having a flare, they're having issues partially because they have some serious food sensitivities. And a lot of times it could be just gluten and that's it. I mean, honestly, I believe most people that uh, have autoimmune probably shouldn't be on gluten. Um, we could go into that in a whole different, a different, probably a whole podcast, but, um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but it could be a several things, but by eliminating some of these, you're going to be eliminating, you can actually put, some people can put their autoimmune disease in remission by eliminating some of these foods. And the, the research they've done, they've done some research. Actually, there's a really amazing research study that was done um, with IBD, um, irritable bowel disease. And it had, I believe, a total of 19 participants. And it was um, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And they had them go through this study. And they found by week five that most people were starting to go into remission. There was only two people that had to be pulled from the study, and that was because of some fissures and some restrictions that the high fiber was was too much for them, and mm. it actually caused some issues. So they had to pull them from it. Mm. But I believe I believe it was either fifteen or seventeen of those total people ended up being in remission by week six before even doing anything else. And uh, they had they did full uh, endoscopies before they did all of uh, their their markers beforehand and afterhand, and, and everybody got better mm. from the AIP. absolutely from the AIP diet. Mm. So it was pretty phenomenal. And I know that they're doing a lot of different studies. I believe they're working on a rheumatoid arthritis study right now. And they're working on, I, I think they're trying to work on a Hashimoto study, but they're trying to some of the more common autoimmune diseases. And so it was a pretty amazing diet. And the way it works is after 60 to 90 days, once your symptoms resolve, and that's the important part, once they resolve, then you start introducing foods very slowly back mm. into the diet. So you try one food, 
let's say you're trying uh, gluten and you eat some and then you wait several days to see if there's a reaction. If there's no reaction, you that's can a key that point there. Very I want to reiterate that you wait a few days to see if anything happens because mm-hmm. uh, autoimmune type reactions, they don't happen uh, right after you eat something typically. I mean, of course, there's like allergies and, and things like that, mm-hmm. but autoimmune is different. That's going to, you know, you might uh, eat some bread one day and feel great, have a great day. And then like two days later, you're constipated. So autoimmune mm-hmm. is on a longer time scale. which if you look into immunology, you'll see why that's the case. It's kind of like a long, it's a wider process. So just want to uh, hone in on that point that uh, uh, for, for both ends of it, where, you know, if you eat some uh, gluten and within two minutes, you, you feel like really bad and things, uh, maybe that's not autoimmune. It could be an allergy. It could be a sensitivity, or it could be psychological. It could be because there's mm-hmm. this big thing built up of like, it's going to harm me. And there's some really fascinating research about people uh, in specific. It was people who were, I think, allergic to strawberries. Mm. And they were able to show in experiments that people who are like severely, severely allergic to strawberries, they could actually have an allergic reaction physiologically from looking at pictures of strawberries from like strawberry, strawberries on their clothes being worn. So I want to open this whole wormhole of, you know, like (laughs) autoimmune could be through the mind. So be very, very um, careful and, uh, and critical about anything around big changes in the diet because um you know you you might have no issue with gluten at all maybe it's great for you uh probably not with all the you know pesticides they use i don't know if uh, traditional weed is good for anybody to some degree but yeah anyway i just thought that was uh, amazing and i definitely want to uh, do some kind of experiment like that on my own because i, I think if i see that happen i'm probably just going to run around in circles for like an hour just being like, yeah. what is going on? Like <laughs> see something and they have a, because they think that they're oh, just, what? Yeah. Well, there's, a, there's a lot of things that could be going on there. Um, but, but you know, the way it works though, is that the whole goal, and this is a mistake that some people have made is they think I'll just be on the AIP diet forever. And that's not the intention. It's not sustainable. Most diets are not sustainable. Uh, when you're talking about these very restrictive diets forever, it's not good for you. It's not probably good for your microbiome. Um, because people tend to be starting to eat the same things over and over and over, causing other issues. Um, so, so after you introduce these foods uh, and they do or don't cause an issue, now if they do cause an issue, you how have to long go back. do you uh, uh, you wait a few uh, a few days after uh, each of the different items you add back in, yes. like eggs or wheat, mm-hmm. and and what kind of uh, uh, what kind of things are you looking for as being indicative that you have uh, some kind of reaction? so many things. It could be a headache. Uh, it could be stomach pain. It could be a rash. It could be uh, congestion. It could be a uh, pain. I mean, there's so many things that it could be. It could be that you didn't, that you slept horribly and woke up achy all over. It could be um, lots of things. There's not just one. So it's anything unusual in your normal, in your normal um, state of being. Like, so you, you basically have a set point of how you felt after this diet you felt amazing. All your symptoms were gone and you introduced this food and something new has happened that was not there before. So what you do if something new has happened is you back up 
you take that food out again and you wait before introducing anything new until you feel that great feeling that you felt before. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And that can take a couple of weeks. So So it can be frustrating. Is a way essentially to, uh, to find your own nutrition. Nutrition is like for life. It's like the way that you eat in general over time or long periods. Diet is something that you do for a specific uh, time for a purpose. And I think that's a really key point, you know, uh, because there's a lot of crash cycles with, with, with uh, crash dieting and then, you know, uh, binging after that. And at the end of the equation, it's like, maybe it would have been better not to even do the diet and just have been eating like you were. So it's important to have, you know, a specific right. goal, a time frame, and, and mm-hmm. somebody to guide you along or information at least. And this isn't for everybody. You know, some people come to me and, you know, there's several ways you can do this diet too. And in fact, I, I have lots of people in my life and they've talked to me about it and they're like, this stuff, this just sounds too hard. And it is, I don't like to actually prescribe any diets that I haven't tried myself. And because of all of my issues, I have tried Same. lots of diets. Same. Um, yeah. And so I understand like AIP can be very expensive. It doesn't have to be, but it can be yeah. very expensive diet. Um, and you know, if you're getting all organ meat, then it's going to be a lot cheaper, but trying to talk somebody into eating mostly organ meat can be difficult <laughs> to say that in the morning, the you're going to eat liver, <laughs> in the evening, yes. you're going to eat kidney. Um, right. And so, yeah. And another thing I've noticed is, you know, people will eat the same thing over and over because they feel it, because it can be, there's a lot of cooking involved. So understanding where somebody's at in their life. And so some ideas that you could try is, okay, well, why don't we just do one food at a time? Like, let's just cut out gluten for six weeks and see if you feel better after that. Let's not do all 20 things. Let's just start there because that's what your life, that's what your stress level is, is allows you to do. Now, it's important too, is if you're cutting out gluten, you know, people think when they're gluten-free that everything's great. But if you're replacing that gluten with simply other processed non-gluten products. Mm, I had a you, phase like that. Oh, it was <laughs> all the, the kind of those fake, um, like rice flour, uh, breads and stuff yeah. and they're delicious. Yeah. Um, yeah. and if you have a, you know, a, a serious reaction to gluten, especially if you have celiac, duh, definitely do that. Yes, because those breads course. are actually, some of them are actually pretty good. Like really in and good. Of themselves. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but if you don't have any kind of issue like that, uh, those kind of breads are very processed. Um, and they're usually really high glycemic too, because they're like usually mostly like tapioca and rice flour and things like that. Potato so, flour. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. and that has its and own so, issues associated with it. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll say, I'll say to someone, okay, what's the, what's a, a food that you feel like of, of this list of things that we could give up that you feel like one or two of them, you feel like, yeah, I could give that up for six weeks. Let's start there. The two most common things that people find are triggers is gluten and um, nightshade. Those are the mm. two most common that people end up having Tomatoes. sensitivities to. Yep. Peppers, eggplant. Yep. Mm-hmm. What, what, um, what would you say about people who really like tomatoes? Ah, no problem. So, uh, there's lots and lots of places and recipe books that you can have, um, substitute tomato. Like, is it tomato sauce that you're missing? Because I have an amazing recipe for tomato sauce that has carrots and beets and other delicious things. Mm-hmm. And I tried it and I tried it. And I have to say, I tried it with my nine-year-old twins. I made a, a whole zucchini, like this, like gluten dairy-free zucchini enchilada AIP thing with this, with this tomato sauce that I made from beets. And it was delicious. Like they didn't mm-hmm. even, they didn't notice. Mm-hmm. So it depends on what exactly you're missing. Is it tomato sauce? Mm-hmm. We have a recipe. There's lots of substitutes for things. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually that interesting. people don't realize. Uh, tomatoes have uh, 
a sizable amount of nicotine in them. Did you, did you know that? I did not and all know the that. nightshade area. So uh, that comes up as just maybe that's sensitivity to that aspect of it. I don't know. I'm just theorizing, mm-hmm. but uh, I know for sure that it does have uh, nicotine in it. Uh, and interestingly, dairy and cheese has, uh, you might've heard about this, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Cassiomorphines. So they're like yep. kind of these uh, opiate like compounds that are in the milk. Yes. Um, yes. So, I mean, isn't that like a lot of what, you know, at least in America of what Italian food is like pizza and stuff like that. Um, I, I love pizza. It's so delicious. <laughs> so it makes I. me wonder like, <laughs> do I like it because there's other, like there's, it's almost like a kind of like a drug. Well, and, and we, in talk a mild about hyperpal- we could talk about hyper palatable foods all day and talk yeah, about pizza's hyper palatable. Yeah. And burgers, very so, hyper palatable with your, with your potato chips. It's so good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. I mean, if it makes sense with dairy, having that receptor, considering, you know, when babies are born and they need to breastfeed and having that that need, that want, that desire to have the breast milk, part of me thinks that there might be an association there. It's the bonding. I think I think that's the theory mm-hmm. behind it. Yeah, that it's yeah. it helps increase bonding and comfort and stuff. So um, every mom is kind of like a drug producer for their child in some <laughs> kind of way. We're all drug pushers, huh? However, <laughs> they're good drugs. They're drugs yes. that have been selected by, you know, millions of years of evolution and, um, um, yeah. and yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, what I wanted to ask about the AIP diet in specific, uh, mm-hmm. you said it was more restrictive than paleo. How so? Yes. Can we do a comparison. Well, paleo, paleo? Yeah. Paleo allows eggs where this does not allow eggs. That's one thing that you could do. Um, Also think about sugar. So paleo, one thing that's happened, unfortunately, with paleo diet is people are like, oh, great. We'll just have lots of coconut sugar and honey and maple syrup. Like a pound of date date syrup in one of those bars. (laughs) They're good. They're delicious. Yeah, they're really good because it's sugar. (laughs) Yeah, sugar is the best. Yeah, absolutely. But that's one thing that's a little bit different. Um, Another thing is nuts and seeds. You can't have nuts and seeds. um, Uh, I don't know if I could do the AIP diet. I'm I'm a big, big, big almonds eater. Although what I would say is that with all my skepticism uh, and not having necessarily read too much to kind of like set my mind up to have this kind of reaction, I noticed that like peanut butter affects me kind of weird. It's not like an allergy, uh, like but like, um, it, I can tell that it's different than eating almond butter. When I eat almond butter, well, I'm like calm and chill. When I eat peanut butter, it's like kind of stimulating. It's very well. It's a, it's legume as opposed to a nut, so it could be that you're having some issues with with legumes as opposed mm. to the nuts. So that would that would actually make a lot of sense. Like my son can't have peanuts at all; it upsets his stomach. But he can have nuts all day long and have no problem with it. So yeah. um, it could be simply the legume. And make my, I'd be curious to see if you have any other issues with any other legumes. Mm, I do. Uh, uh, not to get too much into like my health history, yeah. and stuff. <laughs> although that's what this podcast is about. So let's do it. Now. Yeah. Uh, is a cashew a legume, or it's considered a nut? It's considered a legume. All right. Well, I I have. Okay, so I'm going to tell you uh, tell you something about cashews, which is interesting. When I was younger, I used to eat so many cashews. I would get one of those, you know, like those planters boxes when I was a kid, uh, the planter mm-hmm. cashews, yep, yep. Uh, a big one, and I would just eat it. And it was like my favorite nut to eat. I ate it all the time watching TV and stuff back when I watched TV. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I did that for like most of my life, always loved cashews. And then at some certain point in my life, I don't know if I must've been like 
maybe like 19 or 20 or something like that, I started having really weird reactions to cashews. I started having these, um, you know, like uh, kind of like these issues, like these uh, like uh, 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 kind of like rashes, my digestion would get really messed up. I would get constipated um, and all this specifically just with cashews. Hmm. And I think I figured out what it was and I kind of What's did that? a lot of experimenting and my time to like prove it. So this is where like having a nutritionist on board is super helpful. Cause this kind of stuff, no one, like, how could you know this without doing extensive research? It turns out that, um, cashews in the skin have a lot of, um, uh, uh I think it's urashile. It's not urethyle, urashile. It's this compound, like an oil. Hmm. And urashile is the compound in poison ivy that causes a severe autoimmune reaction. It's the same compound in poison ivy, but it's in smaller amounts. It's in trace quantities, right? Uh, most people don't have that issue at all. But looking back, I had some incidents a couple of years before that where I got uh, poison ivy exposure and it was like pretty bad. And then I got it again, like a year or two later. And it was like horrific. And every time it would just get worse every time, uh, you know, I would, and you know, when it's poison ivy, I mean, that's yeah. like the, if you are very sensitive to it, it's rough, but it turns out that same compound is in really uh, small concentrations. I think it's in like the skin of cashews. It's not like actually in it. And it turns out mangoes too. And do you know how many times I ate mangoes and cashews and had like poison ivy reaction, like reactions. Oh, that's interesting. Like on my uh, like uh, lips and my mouth, it was the same like kind of thing. Like it even looked like it was, I mean, it's just horrific. And uh, I was just always confused as to what was causing it. Um, and sure enough, I did the research and boy, was it hard to figure out was that because like, why the hell would I think it's mangoes? Why the hell would I think it's uh, cashews, especially because I've been eating cashews my whole life. Turns out mangoes uh, in the skin, uh, in the skin of it, they have a lot of that compound. I guess it's probably like a natural protective thing for them. Um, so you don't, you know, in most mango things, you, you might not be affected by that. But every time I would have a mango lassi, you know, that Indian drink with oh, people and mango for you. Oh, that just makes me on the verge of, of just, yeah. I, every time I would have one, sure enough, like clockwork, like one to two days later, it would start. And that's when I started to put two and two together. I looked into mangoes or shile. Oh, also cashews have it. Oh, oh, two days before that happened, I ate mixed nuts that had cashews in it. And ever since I figured that out, it's, it's never happened again. It's never happened again. And it was happening, you know, every couple of months, um, and uh, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff like that that we don't uh, understand. And there's a lot of factors because most people will not have that issue. Like if you love mangoes yeah. and cashews, like keep eating them. They're not bad. But yeah. for someone who is like super sensitive to poison ivy, I would just tell you from like personal experience and research is like, maybe that's the thing that's causing like serious issues because uh, yeah, it was, and it's a weird you know, phenomenon. Weird. Who knows about that? 
Who, who knows? You know, it's weird. There, there was a bit of a debate about the cashew, whether it's a legume or not. You know, there was people say, "What's?" Well, I know it's. I know the, the le- debate, legume you know? industry is is pushing for it. <laughs> you know, and, mo- and most of the time, you're going to look up and say, "No, it's not a legume. It's it's." But it's also they also say it's not a nut. Tree nut, yeah. It's called tree nut. Right, <laughs> I think it's a droop seed. It's considered. Uh, it's a whole. Well, it's kind of like that's kind of like tomatoes, <laughs> where the where it's technically a fruit. It's like it is not in the way so most people think of fruits. So is an avocado. So you know, it's like the the scientific <laughs> versus like the kind of like experiential definition of yeah. a fruit. A fruit is yeah. sweet. You know, so I guess <laughs> you know if we go back, I guess cashew isn't really isn't really a legume, but it's not really a nut. It's just special, like you said. It is a special, it's a, and it's a very it's a sad. Uh, it's a very sad incident because when I was younger, I loved cashews. Uh, yeah. When I was younger, I'd never been exposed to poison ivy, and uh, yeah, I've had a you know, yeah, it's obvious. And and sometimes what I'll what I'll do now is to not like because uh, you know sometimes, especially in a lot of like natural health products that you get at like Trader Joe's or something. They always uh-huh. like seeking cashews and stuff. That was kind of the thing that was triggering me off. Cause when I found out at first, like I avoided it, but like it would be in your food somewhere. Like I would look on the back and be like, oh shit, this actually has cashews in it. It's like mixed <laughs> nut crumbs. And then sure enough, it would happen. But when I figured out that there was different, um, I was able to do things to prevent that from happening. So if I found out later that I had eaten something with cashews or I wanted to eat something with some small amount of cashews, I would make sure to like really brush my teeth, like wash uh, like my lips and stuff. Cause that was the area where it was like breaking out uh, in like, yeah, it was like a poison. It was a poison ivy rash basically. Um, right. I think that's very unique to me, but I've heard of other cases, but there's, there's things you can um, there's things you can do. And that's exactly how poison ivy is. Right. Uh, where uh, urushiol, the thing that causes an autoimmune reaction, this is kind of interesting because this is uh, homeopathy uses super, 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 super dilute uh, uh, poison ivy as a treatment, kind of like to spark Mm -hmm. a a response. The way to get it off is it's an oil that really sticks on the skin. So if you brush up against it, that's why it spreads so much. Uh, for someone who's ever had poison ivy, why it's so easy to spread it. It's kind of like, you know, like, like, uh, like, you know, oil, the, the, the black oil that's used in cars where you have to like, you'd have to like scrub it with soap and hot water and stuff to actually get it off. That compound is, is just like that. Um, so yeah, that's just a kind of a segue for anybody. So if you've been exposed to poison ivy or whatever, and you know, it usually you'll know, you'll have like one little kind of like bumpy area and it's like really really itchy and the the more like it's the itchiest kind of itch that there is and scratching obviously spreads that oil but if you know you've been exposed scrub that area down and i did the same thing with the the cashews and stuff and i never had issues after that so all that long-winded stuff is just to say that like um look at what your goal is, look at what's causing the issue and then see if there's like workarounds. Maybe you can still like have a little bit of the food that caused triggers. If you take it with digestive enzymes or something like that, like there's workarounds to make it work for you. So think about it. It just depends. It depends too how strong the reaction is and, and what your end goal is, because if you really want, you know, put your autoimmune in remission and you find that when you eat dairy, you have a flare for two weeks, you know, you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it it worth worth like like two seconds? 
of and deliciousness. If you do the AIP, yeah, right. And if you did the AIP diet, usually you're to the point where it's worth it because it's such a hard thing to do. Um, yeah. Another thing that's interesting is that with the AIP diet, you know, there's no alcohol. Whereas I know paleo, a lot of times say wine, wine is a go for the paleo diet. Um, and that's not the case. So, so no uh, alcohol at all. No alcohol. No. Honestly, mm-hmm. I do. Uh, I do enjoy alcohol every once in a while. Try to limit it super a lot. Maybe like one time a week, have a few drinks or something. But honestly, if you can avoid alcohol, like pretty much have zero, it's better <laughs> because yeah. uh, if you're honest with yourself, you can see that it, it like it, especially like the day after and stuff like you do not feel good. Even if you only had a few drinks, some people are more sensitive yeah. than others. So um, yeah, I wanted to actually ask around that is like, is alcohol considered part of your diet, you know, and is it uh, something that you, you know, remove? Uh, uh, I would say that's a big hitter. So if you're eating, you know, tons of processed sugar, high fructose corn syrup, and you're drinking tons of alcohol, like I would say, just worry about that part first, because that's going to make, that's going to move mountains. And then you can get in the nitty gritty of like, you know, do cashews cause a reaction or is it mangoes? Yeah, we're not there. We're not there. We've got to start with the big, big hitters first. Yeah, if I'm noticing someone's drinking a few bottles of wine a week, that's a very gentle. It's more than likely uh, that. That's yeah, we're going to talk about it in a very kind, gentle, and um, let's see what you're ready for way. Uh, and the same's true though for somebody's going to McDonald's or or any fast food place on a, a common things. Let's start with some big things that we can say. Hey, why don't you go there once a week instead of three times a week and see how you feel? Um, You'll feel like better. The, yeah, you'll feel. Yeah, you will feel better. I mean, I like the five R's: the remove, replace reinoculate, repair, rebalance. And the Mm. first one, my thing is remove and, you know, let's remove any foods that are not nourishing your body. Let's start there. That's the first one. So, and then let's replace it with things that are good. And, and, um, you know, there's times where these diets don't work and they're not for everybody. And, um, whenever I have anyone go on it, I have to, I, I make sure that it's for that individual person and not just this, right. It has to be. That's super important. And I, uh, I do, I do nutrition type of work with pretty much all of my patients. I don't like uh, focus on it as much. It's a smaller part, but it's just so foundational to your health or any issue that if you have any issue, I can already tell you that changing up your nutrition, uh, if it's not great is going to make differences, no matter what it is, if it's autoimmune or, you know, you have allergies or do you just name it? And that's kind of the naturopathic principle is they call Mm -hmm. it the foundations of health, where uh, no matter what like label you have on the thing that's happening to you, these are the solutions for it because these solutions are working with what your body needs and is not like disease focused. It's health focused. It's, you know, keeping your body strong. Um, Yeah. uh, I lost my train of thought. But, that's all right. Yeah. There's yeah, but yeah, but with you know, there's some basic things. And when you come to see a nutritionist, whether it be me or somebody else, you know, my principle is let's try to work on two or three things at a time. Mm. Let's do it slow and steady because I'm not trying to look for this isn't a crash diet, it's a lifestyle, it's trying to make you feel better for your life and have mm. a healthier, happier, longer life. So if those three things are Hey, take vitamin D this week and drink more water. And Hey, try to go to bed by 1030. Let's start there mm-hmm. and come back in two weeks. And let's see how you feel. Now, what are you ready for? So every person's different. And the AIP diet, I've only had a couple people recently that have actually been ready for that. It's, it's a big ask. And 
one of them got completely better, 100% remission. Um, totally great. But when I asked them to, they should go off of it now, they didn't. And then they ended up having some cholesterol issues because they were mm. eating so much coconut and red meat and they had done it mm. for six months. So there's nothing. That sounds there's delicious. No, coconut and red meat. Know, it really was. That's I not, <laughs> is there anything red meat and coconut? Is that like, <laughs> is it, like a Thai dish? That sounds I'm good. Sure, I'm yeah. it. That sounds, sounds, sounds good. Um, but then somebody else, <laughs> somebody else that wasn't working and I said, you know, I think we need to look at, you know, your, um, we need to look and see if, you know, you sound like you might have SIBO and you might have some histamine yeah. things going on. So it's, it's not like, let's, I don't have anyone usually jump in full force. And then there's two different ways you can do it. You can do it cold Turkey and it's really personality based, or you mm. can do it, um, uh, slow and steady over the course of six weeks, do several things each week, every two weeks, introduce new things. And the slow and steady tends to appeal to people a lot more. I like the slow and steady too. I think it's, it's more effective. Um, uh, yeah, the, the cold Turkey is good for like the initial burst, but you just won't, um, you know, you won't be able to sustain that. So mm -hmm. you have to always revert to the slow and steady eventually, unless you're just like completely a badass. And you're like, I read in this article and this doctor told me that this is good. And this is how I'm going to eat. And it's going to help me. And like, I don't care like what I want. I'm just going to like do it no matter what. Like if you have that mindset, then like you, I mean, you can basically do anything. So. Right. Yes, exactly. But you know, there's only, there's not very many of those out there. And if they are, they, a lot of times they, they're not, they're just doing it on their own. <laughs> yeah, they're, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're listening to the Herbal Hour Podcast. Now's a good time for a segue. Firstly, some pretty amazing news that I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Uh, the Herbal Hour Podcast is now in the top 5% of all podcasts in the world out of 3 million podcasts, which is kind of unfathomable to me. Uh, I've been doing this show for about two years uh, it's a big passion project of mine uh, back then it was and even more so now that I see that there's so much interest in learning about natural health. So if you're a listener, thank you. And if you'd like a chance to be on the Herbal Hour podcast, uh, one of our listeners this week who visits holisticpsyche.com and contacts me through that page or emails me at drdan at ktherbs. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-D-A-N at ktherbs.com. We'll have a chance to guest star on the Herbal Hour podcast. Just send me a message talking about uh, what your interest in natural health is, if you work in the area, and what kind of things you'd be interested in talking about. You can even add in ideas for future episodes or future guests. So one listener will get a chance to be a guest on this podcast within the month of April. Another thing that I thought you guys would find of interest, uh, several months ago, I wrote an article called Psilocybin for Mental Wellness, Legality in Oregon, How to Microdose, and Safety Tips. I wrote it because I was getting so many questions about what's going on with uh, psilocybin therapy and legalization here in Oregon, and I had a lot of patients asking about psychedelic integrations and things of that nature. So I just wrote an article and I'll just send it to them. Uh, really in-depth research article. So if you're interested in learning more about what's going on with uh, psilocybin, uh, the link to that article will be in the description. 
It's on holisticpsyche.com, spelled just as you would think, uh, in the blog section. It's the first article, so check that out if you're interested. It's uh, become quite popular on that blog. I also wanted to mention that the last two or so years have been pretty tragic in terms of the overall uh, mental health of society, culture, and people. So if you or someone you know is struggling with anxiety, depression, or other mental health and chronic diseases, be sure to visit holisticpsyche.com and uh, read about the work I do, what natural tools I use. And my main focus is really providing an alternative for the conventional approach. It's just the most amazing thing to me when uh, a patient I'm working with um, you know, uh, transitions off of medications they're taking that are giving them a lot of side effects. And they approach it through their lifestyle, diet. Um, we do a lot of deep psychological work in the Jungian tradition, dream interpretation, art therapy, that kind of thing. And of course, the main thing is, um, is herbalism. You know, there's an herb for every malady, it's said in the ancient texts. A good deal of my patients are actually already natural health enthusiasts. So one of the things that uh, I love to work with is uh, they bring in, you know, a list of all the supplements they're taking and I look through them and see which ones are good and which ones to add on, which ones to replace, um, proper dosages, all that kind of thing is really important. And I understand that all too well because that's exactly how I got interested in natural medicine uh, before I went to naturopathic medical school. Uh, I tried, you know, everything on myself. I was on several different, you know, vitamins and supplements and herbs and all these things, but I didn't really have a reason that I was taking them. I kind of just, you know, read an article somewhere and I was like, oh, that looks cool. I'll try taking that. And I got to say, it was a lot of fun and I, I still do, uh, you know, uh, research into things and, uh, test them on myself and, and see if there's any noticeable benefits. Uh, most of the time, uh, the worst thing that could happen when you're kind of just taking a whole bunch of different supplements is that they won't do very much or maybe the goal that you have with them, whether it's for mental health or you have some chronic disease that you think it might help with, um, they're not specific enough to actually help with and they could be kind of a waste of money. As we all know, the uh, supplement industry is becoming quite huge and maybe one day uh, it'll even be like big pharma. I know I've already had... Uh, you know, supplement representatives uh, contact me to give me free things so that I would offer their products in my clinic and stuff. So the same kind of stuff is going on with supplements, guys. Um, that's all to say to, uh, you know, uh, do your reading, do your research. Uh, I'm here for you if you need uh, any advice or guidance on those kind of things. That's something I love working with. I love digging through the, uh, you know, the nitty gritty research of it um, and not even stopping there. Uh, if it's an herb, I I actually start with the more uh, ancient sources of it because I think there's far more information in that and then use research as a way to confirm it. But the cool thing with uh, natural medicine is, is there there really is a, an art and a science to it. You know, you might have tried like 10 different herbs and you didn't notice any difference in, let's say, your gut issues or your brain fog, fatigue, or uh, state of your mind. Uh, but if it's, you know, properly selected... Um, in the right context, used in the right dosage, uh, a good brand that actually has that ingredient with good quality, 
that kind of thing, you know, a single herb sometimes can make a huge difference. I know, uh, uh, my own personal experience, obviously working with patients, uh, working with herbs, I've seen some pretty miraculous things with, uh, some pretty simple herbs. Uh, but it all just came down to, you know, what was the form of it? What was the quality? And most importantly, what was the dosage? I think a lot of times, uh, what it says in the bottle is not necessarily the right dosage. Sometimes it's too much, too little and all that kind of thing. So that's all to say. I'm here as a resource for you guys. Um, even if you just want to send me an email, uh, and ask, I'm, I'm happy to give you information. You, you don't need to necessarily get a consult or a visit or anything like that. Uh, I just want to offer that because that's something that I didn't have when I was kind of just, uh, you know, throwing everything I saw, uh, in the supplement aisle in, in my uh, cart and just taking it. And for the most part, that was fine. Although there was one case where, um, I read some article about, you know, how wormwood, had these mystical spiritual benefits and people used it for those kind of things and I was probably like 17 or something like that and I made like the strongest tea that you could possibly ever make of it the thing that I didn't know is that you know wormwood is incredibly toxic like it's straight up poisonous as far as herbs go and you you use it really only for specific thing like for um gut infections or uh you know, intestinal parasites and things like that. Very serious things. But yeah, I made a, a tea that I don't even know how much I put in it. It must have been like 20 grams. Yeah, that was, I definitely poisoned myself because I remember, um, it, first of all, it was like the most bitter thing that I've ever tasted in my life. So if you're ever uh, tasting like a tea that you made that's really strong from an herb that you don't really know much about and it's like, you know, bitter to the bone where you can hardly even take a sip of it. Uh, that's probably a good sign that you should be careful. And you know, that's the thing with nature, right? Everything that can have a, a potential healing effect can have a potentially harmful effect, right? There's this idea that if something can only be good for you, um, then does it even work at all? Is there not wrong cases to use it or cases where it might, things, uh, might make things worse? So I'll just finish that off uh, by saying this. You can go to holisticpsyche.com um, and I'm offering free 15-minute consults. My specialties are, of course, uh, mental health, chronic disease, uh, hormone disorders, different kinds of uh, gut issues. Um, and really, I approach it from the standpoint of looking at the person as a whole. That's what we naturopaths do. That's how we learn uh, to treat people and that's how we learn medicine is that there's fundamental root causes of uh, anything that's going on no matter what disease and a lot of times those root causes uh, can be similar um, and it's just that it's a different person with a certain susceptibility that they have a gut issue versus you know a hormone issue the same factors might be present uh, that are causing it and so many uh, obviously in this podcast we're talking about nutrition that's a huge thing um, so definitely check out Stephanie, uh, Sparing's work at nutritionforautoimmunity.com. Uh, she's very well suited for, uh, specifically working with nutrition. I do work with nutrition a good bit, but I wouldn't say, you know, I'm at that expert level as she is. I use it as part of my kind of integrative approach. Lifestyle, mindfulness, uh, breathing, 
doing uh, symbolic work, working with your unconscious mind, seeing the kinds of things that your unconscious mind is showing you through your dreams about what's going on with you, uh, about how to heal. You know, a lot of uh, Jung's work was trying to discover what is the language of the unconscious mind? How does it communicate and what is it saying? And it, it's pretty uh, it's pretty amazing the things you can find and how that can help you in your healing journey. If you're somebody that lives in Oregon, I would uh, highly recommend that if you do need some assistance with your uh, mental health, uh, uh, natural alternatives, uh, treatment for chronic diseases, anxiety, depression, hormone issues, um, and much more, you can read on holisticpsyche.com all the things that I work with. Um, if you are in Oregon, I would recommend to go to the physical clinic, Holistic Psyche Natural Care Clinic. Um, and if you're uh, outside of the area or uh, virtually is more convenient for you, I do a lot of telehealth work. And I know uh, out of all of the different areas I've worked in uh, naturopathic medicine when I was coming up in my clinical rotations, um, mental health actually does pretty well with telehealth because it's a lot of, um, you know, discussion, education, uh, exploring, you know, the psychological roots of what's going on, exploring the past, the future, traumas, that kind of thing. Uh, it lends itself pretty well to telehealth, I would say. Other things, not so much, you know, when you need like a physical treatment, like physical medicine, or something like that, like a skin issue, uh, and really a lot of other things that you really want to see someone in person for. But thankfully, mental health is great for telehealth, and that is an option for uh, for anybody. Uh, so the way that the uh, consults work is you go on holisticpsyche.janeapp.com, or you can just click the button to you know sign up for a free 15-minute consult on holisticpsyche.com. Um, you just schedule for a time that's open. I'll give you a call. Uh, at that time, and we can discuss, you know, what kind of health issues you're having. Uh, you can ask me questions, and I can tell you a little bit more about the specific work I do. And uh, if we're a good fit, we can continue on. And a lot of people uh, might not have any issues themselves necessarily with mental health or chronic disease. And if you don't, you know, God bless you. You're you're a lucky person because uh, right now, past. You know, two years since the the lockdown, the isolation. I see so much anger, irritation, anxiety, antisocial behavior. People, uh, you know, becoming self destructive, and really, the most common one is just having a sense of blah about life. You know, why why is one living and that kind of thing? And there's always uh, physiological factors for that as well. It's not only psychological, and that's kind of the way it works. So. If you know someone, you know a friend or a family member that you think could benefit a good deal from it, but maybe they don't want to seek out help necessarily themselves, there's a lot of stigma around mental health. And part of my mission uh, is not only uh, providing you know, truly holistic natural alternatives that, that prove that there's uh, a better way, I would say, to treat mental health than what is currently being done. But my mission is also to, uh, you know, educate around psychology, mental health, and these kind of things, and kind of remove that stigma from, you know, seeking uh, like a therapist or counselor, those kind of things. Uh, it can be so helpful. And many people who could really uh, benefit from doing uh, mental health work, 
really get their get their lives back, uh, get back in the get back in the game, get back with a positive mindset, you know, pick up all the pieces, so to speak, and you know, move on that healing journey. A lot of people don't seek it out because of the stigma, and those that do don't really talk about it very much. Um, so anyone who's suffering from any issue around uh, your mental health, uh, you know very well that it's incredibly isolating because if you don't have some really close friends that you can talk to, who can you talk to? And uh, in these days, uh, there's I've heard somebody call it uh, a psychic contagion, and I would say that I 100% agree. Uh, the aftermath, the psychological effects of the crisis that, that has happened uh, in the world uh, has kind of reverberated throughout and, and people are still suffering from it, even though we aren't in lockdown. People are having a hard time, you know, reintegrating into their life before because some people, they were kind of uprooted from their habits and routines. And of course, there was tons and tons of fear and, um, and kind of uh, isolationism. And humans are a social species, of course. That's part of the reasons why podcasts are so great is because you can kind of sit in a conversation like you're there. I've heard that uh, many uh, psychotherapists specifically or counselors can be booked out for like three or six months ahead of time, which is, you know, somebody who's suffering from anything to do with their mental health, uh, you know, one day is, is too much, you know, especially if something could be done about it. Uh, so I'm, I'm here to pick up some of that slack. Uh, but my approach is more from the uh, uh, naturopathic medicine side. So we work on the physical aspects of you as well uh, in your mental health. Outside of the uh, work I do, a recommendation I give uh, to a lot of patients who want to specifically see a counselor or something to that effects. Psychologytoday.com is a great place to look for a practitioner that kind of, you know, fits with you because when you're working with the minds, the person's personality is just as important as their knowledge and expertise. Uh, In fact, Carl Jung talked about that quite a bit. He said when two personalities met, a certain kind of, you know, chemical reaction metaphorically occurred and that that was a large part in the healing process. Uh, so yeah, urge you guys, if you're struggling or know someone struggling, to uh, just ask every once in a while, hey, how are you doing? And uh, and know that somebody who's struggling with that kind of thing, particularly depression, uh, is v- often very good at kind of hiding it, and uh, they don't really necessarily like to talk about it a lot. It looks like uh, within the next year, Uh, psilocybin therapy will be uh, fully implemented uh, here in Oregon, which is certainly something that I'm going to be working with because I've had, you know, some of the most pivotal healing moments and introspective moments and moments of sudden awareness of my life with psilocybin. So that's a great thing that that's becoming available. I think that's going to be a big part in turning around uh, this kind of uh, wave of suffering that has followed the pandemic and all the circumstances around it. We in the natural health community, uh, we wish everyone the, the best of health 
and we're on our own healing journeys in many ways and we've been through many of the things others have been and usually that's the reason why we're even in these fields uh we've found that you know the traditional approach didn't work and uh, for mental health that's all too common unfortunately anyway let me get off my soapbox and let's get back to the second half of the herbal hour podcast we're talking about nutrition, autoimmunity, and diets with Stephanie Sparing. Thank you guys for tuning in to the podcast. Pretty much everybody knows like uh, what's like a healthy food to some degree, what isn't so healthy, like at least in the general ways. Um, and they know what things they're eating and not eating. However, they continue to eat, uh, you know, that thing that might even, they might even notice causes flares. Mm -hmm. we uh we eat things that make us feel better especially when we feel bad and like we're looking mm -hmm. for something to prove that whether it's like a sugary drink or alcohol is like a, a big example of that because it, it actually does work it does make you feel better obviously that comes at, at a lot of costs um so there's kind of like emotional links with certain foods yes. um and the the whys of it and i find that whenever a patient is having a hard time like making switches or they're eating something that's not like great for them and they know it it's because it's serving a need for them so mm -hmm. so to not view it negatively that like you're a bad person you should be guilty but eat this but just uh just be objective and realize i eat this because it makes me feel better because so and so is going on that's the honest approach so okay yes. cool we got that handled okay so i need to find something else that can do that because this one is not helping me mm -hmm. health wise. Right. Yeah. That, that sometimes, it, sometimes it's a very teeny tiny changes. Like let's mm. say their thing is I eat a cupcake every night. Like I, that's just my example. And I was like, okay, well that's, you know, we could, how can we make this better? One is um, I'm not going to start trying to restrict you. How about making, let's, let's switch to coconut sugar and let's switch to, how about an almond flour one? And so let's make tiny changes. Let's enjoy baked goods that are have more or more nutrient dense. Find let's the healthy version. There. I that's find I a healthy version. Spend a that. lot of time when uh, when uh, when you know one of my patients. Most of them are coming in for chronic conditions, mental health issues. Uh, uh, autoimmune is always linked up with that, so you're always kind of seeing that. Uh, that's one thing I really like to uh, to focus in on. One is like the I like to focus in. Uh, the small steps, adding in and replacing, uh, you know, certain foods that you know, are, are, are better well, for a person. Yeah. Another thing that when you and I talked about earlier was, um, if somebody's eating something, I say, you know, I really just want you, whatever, whenever you eat something, I want you to think about fat, fiber, and protein. Mm. Um, and so if you're going to have that, how about, you know, making sure that you have something to counteract that sugar. So you're, you're not crashing later. So mm. how about, can you add a, a handful of nuts or can you maybe eat a little bit of, you know, I don't know if you have a side of chicken breast or, or maybe, uh, how about a little bit of avocado toast or something to balance it out a little bit more. So they're not having that huge sugar crash lately, or maybe having that before they eat that cupcake and then they may not crave it, or they may have it and only want half, but it's not going to have the detrimental effect as that, as of just having that that's sweet. That's something sweet. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I really want to make sure to, it's all about balance. I don't ever want to ask any of my clients to never have sugar again. It, would we all be better without alcohol and sugar in our lives? I mean, 
will we all be better nutritionally? Yes. The answer is yes. Is it realistic to ask that of people? And the, I don't believe it is. I think mm. it's about balance. And that's yeah. what I really try to teach people. And somebody's goals, right? Nutrition mm-hmm. is directly linked to your, to your, to your goals. Uh, uh, a lot of what we were talking about is really specific to people with like, you know, serious autoimmune conditions where it's like these mm-hmm. factors can be what's causing a lot of their suffering and their simple fixes for most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could maybe some effect, maybe not too much. So, uh, so that that's the goal. If you have some kind of condition, then you want to look at what are all the factors let's remove them, mm-hmm. let's replace them because it, uh, you want it to go away. And that's the, that's the way to do it. In a lot of cases for other people they are, you know, they're trying to be a professional athlete or something. Their diets can be completely different. Um, Very different. Amount of calorie intake, what they're eating. They're going to be able to get away with a lot of stuff. Yes. Of eating and things that aren't the greatest. Aren't. But I mean, Michael Phelps was eating like 12 Big Macs a day. And he yeah. was pretty, pretty healthy, at least from outside perspective. Would he have been healthier if he was eating grass-fed burgers and eating more vegetables? Yeah, he would have been yeah. even more healthier. But what I'm saying is if you have good like if you're, if you have certain goals or you're doing a lot of exercise, you get away with a lot of stuff that you wouldn't, if you're sedentary where you'll notice that stuff, you're, it's like almost, I feel like your body just doesn't really process it, particularly, you know, high carbohydrates and stuff. They just kind of sit there and that's the worst. You know, carbohydrate. Some, something that I've done with some people that has been effective is that when they consistently are reintroducing a food that they know makes them feel really poor there's a couple of things. One is, of course, asking the reason of why you're doing that. And the second is, um, I've actually had people record themselves on their phone after they've eaten something when they're having a flare mm, and talking about how they idea. feel. And, and I say, when you're tempted to eat that again, you can choose to, but I want you to watch your video of yourself first and then make the choice. And a lot of times they say, oh yeah, like I felt horrible. I just didn't remember. It's amazing how we yeah. have these very, very like interesting memories, very select memories yeah. of what, yeah, because or they didn't even notice the, it too, right? Unless they, they had they somebody the asking pleasure. them about it, right? They remember the pleasure, not the pain that was associated. Yeah. So sometimes a little video of ourselves or writing it down in a journal is really helpful for them. And I say, fine, eat that again, but I want you to just remember what what you're doing when you do it. Yeah, I like that approach. It's like. um you know, be a, be a scientist about your nutrition, test what mm-hmm. works, what doesn't try things, experiment, be honest, don't be hard on yourself. And that's like, mm-hmm. you know, that's the step-by-step approach to where somebody gets to like a really, what you would call like a really healthy diet and they're, they're doing great because of it. Um, and it's like effortless because it's just, this yeah. is just the way I eat. Like, uh, and somebody asked, well, like, how do you avoid sugar? It's like, I just don't eat sugar. So I don't want to eat it. Like, it's not really a problem. Or, um, you know, I don't, it's weird with food uh, cravings and things like that, because mm. it's like this like cycle, particularly with sugar. So like, um, and I've experimented with that a lot of having sugar, in my diet, not having any at all for very long periods of time. And uh, what I figured out for a hundred percent fact is that if you eat sugar later, you're going to crave more sugar. That's, yeah. that's the whole thing mm-hmm. of it. So someone was like, oh, well, how can I stop uh, eating so much sugar? And it's just like, stop, sugar. Eating, stop eating sugar and you will actually stop eating sugar and you'll forget about it and you won't care. You won't right. care. Right. And I, rem- I remember like you're missing anything. 
remember reading a long time ago, they said, when you eat a food over and over again, after about 10 days, your brain has a natural mechanism that actually says that's enough. Have you ever noticed if you eat a food over and over eventually you're like, eh, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only, but the only yeah, and for, for, you know, fat and protein, that's the case. But when it comes specifically to sugar, that part of your brain, when you have it, it does this the opposite. It says, I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more. It never turns off. And I, I, I read, I was like, why is that? And if you think about, you go back to, you know, the paleo theory, go back to the caveman. When you ran across a strawberry, there was a finite amount of strawberries. You ran yeah. across this tuber, there was a finite amount and your body said get as many carbohydrates in your body as, as humanly possible. Which is exactly, you know, we wouldn't be alive today if our bodies weren't like that. If people were, we just have, if people yeah. were just, you know, roaming around eating kale, like we would not be alive today, you know, because of <laughs> exactly. food scarcity. You have to eat whatever <laughs> right. you can get. And if something's like, I mean, sugar is a very uh, dense source of calories. So is fat. Mm-hmm. Why do people crave sugar and fat? Because sugar and fat are the best things that there are from your body's point of view. But that doesn't mean that the best things can't be overdone to a point where your biology just doesn't even know what the hell to do with so much sugar and fat. It's unnecessarily a lot of it. Right. And we haven't adapted to the fact that when we, and, you know, and even with colorful foods, our brains are are supposed to be excited about seeing colors. So think about Skittles. No. (laughs) Or when you walk into a plaid pantry and everything's bright and colorful and, you know, we could go on and on about that, but, um, do you ever uh, tell your clients to, uh, eat the colors of the rainbow? You know, it was hilarious. I, when I remember I learned about the rainbow, like the colors of the rainbow and then you would be set. And I thought, Oh, I'll, I'll, I should write a book about the rainbow, rainbow diet. And then I Googled it and there's like 70,000 books on the rainbow diet. (laughs) Really? That's a great name. Rainbow diet. That's beautiful. You're good with the names. You're good with the names. That's That's like, it has like a picture. It makes me think of like Skittles or something. <laughs> no, it makes me think right. more of like well, vegetables. Yeah. The idea is right. that yeah. um, uh, uh, the the colors in foods, particularly vegetables, not like fake colors, uh, those uh, dye compounds, those colored compounds are usually the most medicinal that there are. So like that, yes. what gives like, you know, a vegetable, it's, it's green color, it's orange or yellow or purple or blue the purples and the reds are anthocyanins yep Mm -hmm. this indicates a specific kind of compound that's in it so they're all different Uh, and that's the idea of um eat the rainbow meaning get diversity of different nutrient sources of like plant nutrients so don't just eat kale all day long but throw some blueberries and strawberries in the mixer once in a while or you know whatever whatever Lots, lots of colors and it also makes your plate a lot more pleasing to the eye it's very pleasing once like you get never, into eating good food, you like, it's not a chore. You actually are like, you lose a, you lose your taste for like crap. Right. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Like the Sweet idea changes. It does. Yeah. It doesn't have that pull. And even when you do eat it, like uh, if you're not used to, like, if you've kind of weaned yourself off of like heavy, heavy sugar eating and kind of eat like, you know, some berries here and there. Um, when you eat like, you know, like a piece of cake or whatever, when you're a social gathering, you like, it's like, so it's like too much. It's like so mm-hmm. intense that you're like, I can't even like really enjoy this. Cause it's like, it's like literally stimulating, uh, how yeah. sweet it is. And then, and then you think, oh, well, like what's, I don't really even like it that much anymore. 
and I'm going to have like negative health consequences. So it just becomes like a no brainer of uh, once you have that experience of what's good for you and what isn't uh, it seems that your body recalibrates to that circumstance. You eat a lot of good foods, your, your body will, uh, I don't know by what mechanism this happens, it's kind of a mystery, but your like nervous system will remember like, Hey, these are like good stuff. Like we're always having a lot of energy. We're having great days when we eat these vegetables. So like, mm-hmm. then it's like the carrot on the stick, your own mind does it for you where you, literally you'll get cravings for vegetables, which is like the weirdest concept to somebody who doesn't eat a lot of vegetables, but doing a lot of very intense uh, uh, experiments on myself with different diets, uh, like doing like keto and paleo for long intermittent fasting and fasting type things, particularly what I noticed with low carb diets. Uh, I think low carb diets are the easiest ways to eat more vegetables because yeah. you crave carbohydrates so much that you're like, yeah, give me a cucumber, just like something with like a little bit of carbohydrate in it where you'll, you'll right. crave the right thing. And I think that's the natural, yeah. that's how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to crave some level of vegetables, but not like overdo it, you know? They get tired, but unfortunately, if you have a loaf of bread in your house and you're craving it, then it's going to call to you because it's a very quick source of glucose yeah. to get to your bloodstream. Yeah. So, it's uh, yeah. also about that's another thing that I, I, I talk with my clients about a lot is that it's usually it's not just them in their household, they usually have oh, yeah, a that, partner, there's and, a lot of complications, and, sh- and children. And whether I tell them to eat a certain way, it's very difficult when the kids are asking for mac and cheese and the dad's bringing a bottle of wine out. So going to be a lot of pushback um, from just the circumstances. And that, that makes it even harder society from society too. I also have clients that say they constantly get a hard time from their friends and family that they're, they're, they're eating strangely. And, um, it's also, it could be a cultural thing. I, that's another thing I asked them in the beginning is, you Mm. know, what, what's food like at your home? What is, what's your, what do you, what'd you grow up with? What was considered comfort foods? And so I'm respecting those things and working around them and trying to figure Mm -hmm. out where they're at, but also where their family's at. Yeah. That's why it's so important to have, you know, really convincing knowledge and insights and specific information about, you know, why a certain diet or way of eating is good. And and even better if you have an experience of it really helping you because Mm -hmm. like you need that inner certitude particularly when you're in those kind of situations where you can be uh, influenced here and there. Uh, as an example of that, way back when I was in uh, college, before I went to uh, a naturopathic medical school, uh, I went vegetarian. Uh, and I was like, mm-hmm. I was always eating tons of meat before that, right? I went vegetarian and I I went like hardcore vegetarian. It was, I watched one of those um you know how sometimes at uh, college <laughs> campuses they have those those like mm, those videos where they show like animals being like brutally yeah, yeah. slaughtered mm-hmm. and it just kind of triggers something. I mean, at the time I was kind of getting into you know the spiritual yeah. path or something like that, and those things all somehow <laughs> tie together. Who knows how? Yeah. Um, but anyway, when hardcore vegetarian, uh, you know, my household is meat for dinner every night of some kind, sometimes fish and stuff like that. Uh, the amount of pushback I got for making that change was like huge. Um, mm-hmm. And if my resolve wasn't uh, strong um, and I wasn't as like rebellious of a spirit as I am, uh, there was a lot of times where, you know, like even, <laughs> even my parents would like egg me out, like, Hey, some steak, you want some steak? You want some, like, um, 
it, it's interesting that there's that kind of uh, pushback or testing when you make any changes, not just with diet. Like if you want to live like an awesome life and you don't live to your full capacity, when you make, if you're around a lot of people you're close to connected to, and you try to make like a rapid transformation, it causes some kind of like discomfort in them because then they start thinking like, oh, well, they start almost like viewing themselves and maybe they're doing something wrong. Maybe you're doing yes. something better. Um, mm-hmm. And it gets in all these, you know, there's uh, something uh, Jordan Peterson once said is if you want to cause a commotion in your household, like completely put the whole house in order, like clean everything, make everything look pristine and beautiful. And like, you'll, he said, like, you'll notice resistance, like, especially if you're not in the most uh, like the best of that kind of circumstance. Why? It's kind of weird because you would think that everyone would want that to be better. Uh, but to tail off that vegetarian story, it turns out like my my mom was constantly questioning me like, why? Because um, I, I was born in Ukraine and the traditional Ukrainian diet is like potatoes and like meat and like tons of dairy and creams and stuff. And like meat is a really big part. Like we got like kibasa, kolete, which are like patties. And uh, like it's, you know, when I, when I visited there way back many years ago, uh, and I talked to like my grandparents, they weren't even like, uh, pushing back about the vegetarian. They were just like, why would you even do that? It's not like a thing that is like thought of like, why like, is that supposed to be good? Um, yeah. Anyway. So I, I stuck to it, you know, I eventually ended up adding fish and things like that. And, um, one of the strongest, uh, resistors to the change was my mom. She was like, oh, you're not getting your nutrition. It turns out after about like six months of it, she went vegetarian. And um, and even funnier, check this out. I, uh, a few years ago, I, I began like reintegrating uh, healthy sources of meats, like grass-fed, all that stuff. So back to eating meat again, not a vegetarian anymore. And guess what? My mom's still a vegetarian. And she was one of the biggest, like, uh, you know, uh, like, oh, like, why are you doing that? Like, it's not good for you. And it's, it's kind of funny, right? It's like, um, when you set the example, people mm-hmm. will resist you. But eventually, if your conviction is true, you'll actually, you'll help them in a way that there's no other way to help them. Like, if you sit down and try to convince somebody you're vegetarian, it's almost impossible. But if you go no. full vegetarian, you go full vegan right in their face. And you do it from like a good, you know, from a good attitude. You're not like being mean about it. Like, I can't believe you yeah. evil bastard and things like that. Right. Um, then <laughs> yeah. people will be like, oh, like maybe there's something to it. Um, yeah. And I've had a lot of experience like that in my life. And it made me think like when someone uh, resists, like, and you, and you know yourself, like you're making a positive change in your life, this could be anything. And it happens all the time, especially from, you know, parents and things like that. Cause there's kind of mm-hmm. a unique relationship there. Um Whenever you feel like that resistance from someone close to you, when 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 you feel that you're making good changes in your life, just like remember that that they're resisting. I think because it makes them uncomfortable. It makes them have to look within themselves. It makes them have to uh, reevaluate their own diet, and it just it causes mm-hmm. all this commotion for them that they don't want to be part of. Like that wasn't their decision for you to go vegetarian. Um, but you know the right people in your life even if they uh, at first give that resistance, eventually they'll be like your biggest supporter if you approach yeah. it from the right, the right way. So um, uh, 
I think that's super important, right? Because the family dynamic and stuff like that might be the biggest besides like cost and besides like taste and convenience, that might be the biggest factors in why people aren't eating their best diet. You know, another thing is um, when people have kiddos, there's a genetic component to autoimmune disease. And Mm. so that's something that I, it doesn't mean that you will, it just means you have a more of a propensity to get an autoimmune, for example, I have one, but all three of my brothers and sisters do too. Mm. And so when you're eating you're actually also setting an example for your kids and influencing possible their life in the future. And so by, you know, there's also an element of, yes, I know this is going to be hard, but you're going to be influencing them to eat healthier in their lives. And maybe they won't have the problems that you have later in your life. Yeah. You teach them early on. It's motivating. Um, Yeah. There's, um, there's a, an interesting, have you ever heard of those uh, diets for people with, uh, like really, really severe autoimmune conditions. It's called maybe the carnivore diet, I think, where they only eat meat. Um, and you would think like that goes against everything that I would ever thought where, you know, a lot of times people in the natural health community say, Oh, like red meat is not really great, but I've seen some stories of, of people like with like, like life debilitating autoimmune, uh, diseases that made them anxious and depressed. And, and I'm talking about autoimmune disorders where the person's not even functional. It's not like something they're dealing with. They're just like, they're out for it. Um, and them just eating just red meat, the only thing they eat and everything fixing itself. Like, what do you, what do you say to those kind of intense, is that like just for them it's good? Or is there something in the vegetables that even, cause they would have reactions to even vegetables. Is it the well, why? Right. Well, I actually, there's people that, you know, that are very carnivore diet and they say it's because the oxalic acid, the protective barrier around a lot of like sweet potatoes and spinach yeah. have a lot of this. And there's a lot of, um, they worry about that. You know, here's the thing is that a lot of times in the past, people would simply test clients, patients and say, if the tests don't look good, we need to change something. But it feels that there's been a shift and it's more about how do you feel? Do you feel amazing? Do you have energy? Are you happy? Do you have any pain? If the answer is no, then yes to that diet. Mm. If it's working for you. Now, my question for the carnivore diet was, what does that look like long-term for the microbiome? Because there's been a lot of studies saying that it's important to have lots of fruits and vegetables and whole grains. But if the person, like you said, was almost comatose and now they're living their best life on a carnivore diet, does that mean that that's what they need to be on forever? I probably would say eventually, why don't you try to add in a vegetable? Just try and right. see how you feel. Right. Maybe try to add in just whole foods. Just try eventually to add some things in to try to diversify because I don't think any eating just one thing the rest of your life yeah. is probably the best. No, I definitely wouldn't recommend a carnivore diet for like 99% of people, but for someone with a no. really severe autoimmune disease and that's the only thing they haven't tried. Why not? It could course, be the ticket. Absolutely. It was for some people. So exactly. And, and you know, the same with the keto diet. Um, it's, you yeah. know, I met somebody with type one diabetes that is living their best life and has better A1C than any person without diabetes out there. And they don't, <laughs> they, they are doing amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, and that diet wasn't created for that, but this person it's working for. So if that diet lets you live your best life and you feel better than you ever have, it doesn't mean it needs to be that way forever, but for now. Yeah. You got to find what's right it. for you and things like that. Yeah. And one recommendation I, I would give in terms of finding out like what's a good diet, uh, obviously outside of like seeking professional assistance in it is um, have a discussion with like your family and your, uh, especially your parents and 
ask them like what they noticed about like their dietary habits and like what made them feel good and what um what didn't. Sorry, my cat's on the table. <laughs> That'll <laughs> be an fuzzy. edit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. I should have gotten him on camera. It would have been funnier. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, t- uh, talking or just observing your parents and stuff because they might not even know it, but they might have figured out what the best diet is even for you just because um, like there is a really strong genetic component to, I think, what kind of diet is good for you and, and your goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, my, um, my father, who's a, a surgeon, since early on in his life, he figured out that intermittent fasting was the best move. And this, I mean, this is a long time ago. There was no like term intermittent fasting. He just found out that to be the sharpest for his work, he doesn't eat until he's one like gigantic meal at night. And the rest of the day, he just like has like very, very, very light things and and tons of, you know, like water and stuff. And uh, he found that way that works well for him. And uh, I've experimented with that a lot. And uh, even right now, uh, for the past few weeks, I've been doing that where uh, I only eat sundown and then I try to eat like one or two big meals, uh, uh, healthy, obviously with, with vegetables, tons of protein and stuff, uh, at night, kind of like at the end of my day. And, you know, it's that time of, uh, Ramadan. And for some reason, there's some thing with it, especially particularly in the spring that I've been noticing, it's very helpful. Like yeah. it changed my motivation. I got tons of energy, like my, my mind didn't have to be focused so much on what I'm eating and like planning my day around it. Right. Cause if you have a big meal, like, are you gonna, you know, write an essay after that? Like unlikely. Right. Like, so I had to always plan my, okay, I'll start, I'll work at one hour after my meal. And especially with heavy carbs, I always noticed it made me really tired, sleepy, lethargic. Um, But yeah, so that's just, that's something that's uh, worked for me and something I'm experimenting with. And uh, probably in like a month or two, I'm going to go back to a different kind of diet. I like doing it in like, Bursts. I don't know if it's uh, seasonal, um, mm. but maybe the, maybe that is the best approach for a diet. Uh, maybe there's a diet for the spring, a diet for the winter, a diet for the fall, a diet for the summer. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, seasonal seasonal eating is always really good because when you're going to eat basically fresh fruits and vegetables that are in yeah. season, they're going to be a lot more nu- nutrient dense. Yeah. But I think you should, when it comes to, you said intermittent fasting, like I've been intermittent fasting for about a year and a half. I, mm. I only eat between a 16 and 18 hour time period where I don't eat. And then, mm. and that makes me feel amazing. And I notice if I start to go off that, I actually have a flare. I actually don't feel well at all for me, but other people, intermittent fasting can cause autoimmune disease to flare. Yeah. So it's the yeah, kind of so person it, you are. Cause I've, I've heard really people um, who have tried like intermittent fasting or fasting for a while and they get like ravenously hunger, hungry and really tired uh, and really like sleepy and like slow brained. And uh, like, I get the exact opposite. I get very energetic. My mind becomes very clear. Um, so th- there is some individual components of the diet where it's not like intermittent fasting is the way to go for everybody. But if you are that kind of person who's like eats a lot of carbs and feels kind of like sleepy after meals and feels kind of tired and kind of groggish intermittent fasting probably will help a lot. But you made a good, you had a little point there. Eats a lot of carbs and feels groggy. So my question too is what if you didn't, what if you ate 
lots of whole grains and fresh fruits and vegetables and protein and didn't eat a lot of heavy carbs, would you mm. still feel the same? And would you need intermittent fasting? And then secondly, for the person where intermittent fasting doesn't work, which it doesn't work for everybody, and they feel awful or really tired or really ravenous, my question is, what did you eat before the night before? Did you eat a yeah. bunch of sugar? Because of course you're going to be That's ravenous. Your blood sugar has crashed or did you have a really healthy fat fiber protein dinner yeah. that was really satisfying and and also did you eat enough calories and that's another mistake sometimes people make with intermittent fasting is that they just they don't, don't get eat enough, enough calories yeah and so they're starving the next day you don't want to do too many things at once me. yeah, yeah so, and then, you and know intermittent fasting is not enough in and of itself right because i'll give you an example hey yeah guys i've been you know practicing intermittent fasting right oh yeah that's cool how you been feeling ah it's not so good well what why Oh, you know, like uh, it comes, the nighttime comes, uh, really hungry. And, you know, I just eat like half a cheesecake and then I'm good for the day. It's like, yeah, you could do intermittent fasting and just like eat mm -hmm. complete shit. And although that would be better than just eating complete shit all the time, I would say, because at least it would give your digestive system some time to be like, what the hell are you doing to us? Let's figure this out. So it would even be better. But that's just to say that like intermittent fasting is not enough. Like you got to also, like you said, be getting your calories nutrients, uh, mm -hmm. you know, eating, eating healthily in that, uh, window and making sure you're still meeting your needs, you know, um, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, again, any diet out there, there is, there's a reason it was created. It did work for somebody to a certain extent. There's some I've heard of that are just crazy. Um, that, you know, yes, I, I can eat, all day long and I feel amazing, but then I don't eat the next three days. Like that doesn't, you know, there's, there's, there's weird ones out there, but, um, in general, there's, there's a reason for each one. Like the keto diet was originally made for kids that had seizures that were uncontrolled by meds. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's a good reason for, for a keto diet. And I know Dr. Zwicky was, uh, did a study for keto diet for Parkinson's disease and that it, the study hasn't come out yet, but it came out split, whether it works or not. I mean, some people are very devoted to it and it really works Changes well. Changes the neurochemistry of the brain. You know, you're, it's like um, doing a keto diet or low carb or fasting. They all kind of are the same thing in some way. They're all around limiting uh, carbohydrates. Like Keto is like very, very strict, uh, limited. Yes. Paleo is like generally low carb because that, that's the idea of paleo. Um, intermittent fasting is like, you're not getting anything, including yeah. glucose. But when you don't get glucose, your brain starts running on ketones. And apparently mm -hmm. the breakdown of fat and, and things like that, especially for seizures and stuff, it's like, you know, you have a car, like a sports car of a particular type, and you've been putting diesel in it. And suddenly now, you, your car is running like shit, making a lot of fumes. It's just not going very fast. But then you put in like that, you know, high octane nitro infused fuel ketones for some people. It's like everything, you know, it's like their whole yeah. mindset changes, their mood changes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you know, the great thing about our body, sometimes intermittent, sometimes fasting works so well for people is because we're not putting the right things in our body and we have, or yeah, we have really right. bad gut dysbiosis yeah. and just giving your digestive system a break to heal itself because the body does want to be in homeostasis. It does want to be healthy. And so just by not consistently putting food that maybe is causing your body. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. Let's it heal. And so that's another thing I had people say, I felt so horrible and I just fasted for 24 hours and I just felt so much better. I'm like, yeah, cause you, you, your body needed to break from what you yeah, were putting in it. And, and, and you know, that, um, I think, I think it was, go ahead. 
have you heard about the, um, I think it's called the, what is it? The migrating motor complex of the digestive mm-hmm. system that mm-hmm. like, what is it? Every eight hours or so your, your, your GI basically does like a, a clean of house and move through of not eating. I thought it was, I thought it was three days for like, for your microbiome to completely like completely change. Uh, I think I'm talking about days. something I think different. that's what that was. Yeah. But yeah. the complex. Yeah. Yeah. It can move everything out. Yes. I know what you're talking it about. It only is active that like that system of like that repair is only active when you're fasted mm. and it takes, uh, you know, like four to eight hours, depending on the person. Right. And in our culture, for some reason, I don't know why, uh, there's this emphasis on eating like tons and tons and tons of meals. Um, is that just consumerism? Who knows? Uh, is well, it necessary there was a theory, for people? It'll speed your metabolism up. It'll help you lose weight, just like every other fad. Um, I find though that a lot of people, I tell them, like especially people with SIBO, to wait four to five hours in between meals to let. Yeah, them. give yourself a little. And, 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 and intermittent fasting is especially good for them because That's, yeah. they need that time to, for everything to get through. Let's your body, uh, you know, rest. Like we, for, you know, we think of uh, digestion as this like passive process that like, you know, doesn't uh, digestion uh, from, uh, from what I've read and just experienced in my life, it can be very, very energetically taxing, not just like emotionally mm-hmm. mood wise, but on your body. It's like your whole body has to transition to like, let's digest this food. Let's move all the blood here to absorb these nutrients. Let's move more to parasympathetic versus sympathetic. And mm-hmm. if you're, you're trying to digest and you're also trying to like do work and, or you're, you know, you're even like, um, and I'm, I'm guilty of this. I, I love this so much and I'm trying to do better. It's tough. Is like eating, uh, while doing something else, like Oh yeah. Throw on a podcast or like <laughs> uh, those kind of things, you know, watch a movie. Like, I don't know why I just love it. I it's read. like that movies and popcorn type thing. Uh, mm. But I've noticed for sure that when I really brought mindfulness to my eating, my digestion was way better. So like sitting down with the plate in front of you, like looking at it, smelling it. And when you cook it, it's even better. Cause you get this kind of like you start salivating, your it. digestive system starts going before you even touch yeah, it. But, he, but chewing even chewing it slowly, it, we don't chew. tasting <laughs> it, letting yourself taste it, mm-hmm. like eating it slowly, like just eating when you eat. Um, and uh, at times when I've done that, I've noticed my digestion is like amazing. Cause like I can feel like it kick in like right away, like the salvation yeah. and it doesn't feel like heavy. It's like already moving. Like I started the engine. Well, it's like when you... It's like when you use bitters before you use Yes, meat. I love bitters, like getting yeah. that whole thing Gentian. started. If you guys want to taste mm-hmm. the most disgusting thing in your life, get a, a little bit of a gentian, uh, gentian uh, uh, tincture. Yeah, uh, it is the most bitter, bitter, um, uh, but it stimulates your digestion a lot. Actually, for a uh, uh, herbal tincture company that I used to run, it's kind of like on standby now. One of the formulas I, I had was called uh, Demeter's Bitters. It was like a bitters formula. I had like gentian, mm-hmm. ginger, um, fennel, uh, those kind of like uh, digestive stimulants and carminatives. And mm-hmm. like a clock, I, I knew how I knew it worked for sure because I would you know take a few droppers full of it. And uh, even if I wasn't going to eat a meal, I would feel myself start to salivate. My stomach would start grumbling. Like I could tell it like literally oh, kickstarted wow. my digestion, not related to any food that I ate. So I was like, okay. So like bitters is like 15 to 20 minutes after it 
it's like you turn the key in the ignition and the digestion just mm-hmm. starts going. So it's good to like, if you have trouble with digesting, you feel full and stuff, bitters before you eat makes a lot of sense. And yeah. and also mindfully eating too, not eating and mm-hmm. not eating in terms of extreme stress. Like you don't want to be under stress of intense types while you're eating because it's like, yeah, it's two different directions. Your parasympathetic and sympathetic are like fighting each other. You know, I was thinking about um, aura rings and, you know, that's a little bit of a uh, interesting segue, but, you know, I, I was thinking about our brains and we need time for them to have a deep sleep and a REM and a time to rest. Mm. And I feel like we need that with our digestive system. And I was thinking yes. I've got an aura ring recently and it's really changed the way that I eat. If I have sugar at night, I notice my heart rate will go up seven beats per minute while I'm sleeping. Um, yeah, it'd be a big change. And I would it love sense, a ring yeah. like that for my digestive system. So I could put that on and watch it. Hey, I ate this and this is, this is <laughs> it has my- different color lights, like red, yellow, and green. Yeah. Green means like your digestive system is good to go for another meal. Right. Yellow is like, we're like, still working like, here, buddy. Like, don't be eating like, cupcakes right now. We're still right, digesting the how, meal. This is how fast your food is moving through. Almost like doing a capsule endoscopy, you know, like yeah. where you're actually seeing how it all works. And I it see takes a long time for food to transit for most people. Mm-hmm. Like we think about it, like you eat and it's in your stomach and then that's it. It's there. But uh, f- for some people with like really, like it's called transit time, mm-hmm. like the total time mm-hmm. enters point A to exit point B. How long is that? That's like a really good measure mm-hmm. of your digestive function. Mm-hmm. Um, some people's like 24 hours or longer. So like they're only done digesting what they ate the same time yesterday. And so if they're eating like right. a big meal every few hours, like no wonder they feel right. like they're just, they can't get going on anything. Right. You know? And to have it between 12 and 24 hours is fantastic. You know, yeah. that's, that's the golden standard. Yeah. And I know that even suggested doing like activated charcoal and taking it and watching seeing how long it takes for it to go all the way down and see, mm-hmm. Like if it turns, you know, if it's 48 hours later and you see that charcoal come out, then you've got some slow transit time. Yeah. You could also do um, yeah. corn if, if that's okay. something that happens. Another one, you know how some people have this thing with beets when they eat beets? Yeah, beets. Yeah, beets. If you have that weird, if you, this is kind of a, this is a health podcast, so we're allowed to talk yeah. about poop. So I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. talk about poop. So <laughs> if you don't like listening to that, then, you know, just tune out for a second. Um, yeah. Uh, beets, there's an interesting phenomena, uh, particularly with bowel movements where some people, uh, you know, they, they go to the bathroom, they look down at the toilet and they're like, is there just like a bowl of like, you know, is there blood? Is that blood? Yeah. And that's yeah. some people, uh, they don't break down, uh, beets, that coloring pigment and it comes out in their, in their bowel. So if you've ever had like a crazy, yeah. Well, like ask yourself first, did I eat beets today? Like you got to ask first or else you're going to think you have like colon cancer off the bat. Um, right. But that's or another way of doing a transit time because it won't come out until everything does. And don't worry if your kid went to a birthday party where they had green and blue oh, icing yeah. cupcakes. That can, that's a weird one when that goes through. Yeah. It's all kinds of weirdness. So, <laughs> that is weird. But you can use it to, uh, to test how long it's taking you to digest and, this would be an interesting experiment. And I, I wonder, I wonder, uh, I'm sure it has been done. I, I have to look into it though. You compare somebody who's been like eating the standard American diet and somebody who's like eating healthy and uh, you know, maybe intermittent fasting or whatever, just compare whatever to 
and let them, you know, they do that for a while, then test their transit time. Maybe if they like switch diets or they stop doing that diet Mm -hmm. and see like whose digestion is better. Is it the person who's eating the standard American diet? Is the person who's intermittent fasting eating well? Uh, Whose transit time is like slower or faster or what is, how is it influencing? Like, cause what you eat is too many variables. GI, there is a lot of variables. Yeah. I mean, the question is, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put a wrench in that and say the person that was eating the standard American diet was in the Caribbean. And the person that has the intermittent fasting was stressed out at work. Two twins, two twins. You test on two twins. Exactly. So that's the best control. How's their, how's their sleep? Where, you know, how's their stress? Two twins that that. eat generally the same diet, put one on intermittent fasting, (laughs) put the other on maybe like paleo, put the, put another on American diet and just see what the transit time changes. I I know for sure it would be different. It has, it has to be different. Yeah, it has, it has to, to be, be different, different. But yeah, but definitely I think the stress is a big one to think about that variable. And I was thinking about what you said earlier about uh, some things that if I was going to tell anyone the things that they could do easily in their diet. Mm-hmm. And um, I think about something else. I think Zwicky actually said in a conference that I went in. Again, I, I, this isn't a promo for Zwicky, I promise. Uh, she said, all you need is make sure you have tr- 20 fruits and vegetables. It could even be herbs per week in your diet. 20 and that's per enough, week. 20 per week. And that's enough to have a very healthy, diverse microbiome. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh my gosh, 20. Make vegetable soup right there. You got like 12. Easy peasy. I like the easy the peasy. the lazy man's approach to uh to healthy nutrition. <laughs> I, I love it because it it, it, it <laughs> It works. It works. You know, like one of the big things I, I recommend, and I don't, I don't know if, if you do as well, but one thing I found is like an easy kind of, uh, you know, general tonic for like anybody who has any nutrition difficulties, especially like just to start off with, uh, mm. I'll teach them how to make, uh, like a really nutrient dense smoothie, like tons of, mm, yeah. you know, uh, uh, leafy greens that they like, like maybe some frozen berries and stuff. And I'll, I'll tell them like, don't add banana, maybe don't add like other stuff. Uh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, whatever is good for them and just don't change anything else in your diet. Don't even think about it. Just make sure you drink that once a day. That's it. We're just trying Mm -hmm. to get nutrients in. we're not even going to start with taking anything away. And, um, what, what I found for myself and other people is once they get onto it and they're like getting the more nutrients, like they're going to feel it. And like I said, that your nervous system is going to kick in and you're going to start craving smoothies. And all of a sudden, after you drink a smoothie, like, are you really ever going to eat a cupcake after you drink a smoothie? Like, you're not in the, right? You're like, why would I ruin what I just did? Like, maybe I didn't even like how this tasted. Like, why would I just go and stab myself in the back? Yeah, what I do actually, um, I... Six mornings a week, I make smoothies for my kids and I yes, and my husband. I love and smoothies. I do, and I do a different one every single day. Yep, you can put I anything don't want it to in be there. the same. Yeah, and you know they have their favorites. They they ask for different things, and I throw avocados in there sometimes, and all kinds of veggies. What's your uh, What's just, your favorite uh, like recipe uh, uh, for something with like greens in it? Like, what do you okay, like mixing well, my, in there? I really like to do really, I, what I do is I get the greenest bananas I can find at the store oh, and I, I, I peel them and I freeze them so what? that I can have them for the smoothie. So I don't have to worry frozen about people green bananas? frozen green bananas because then it makes the smoothie, you know, cold and it's got amazing for short chain fatty acids. Um, it's great for people that have histamine issues. They can still have the really green, green bananas. bananas not have a lot of fructose or sugar in them. 
a bit much less, incredible, a ton less. So the riper they get, the more fermented they get, the more sugary they are. So a ripe green banana is going to have far less sugar than, that's the reason they don't taste sweet. If you ever tasted a a green banana, they're not super sweet. Yeah, I mean, I've whenever I taste a green banana, I usually put it down. (laughs) It's usually hard and I'm like, I don't don't want to eat this. Well, so I put I put those in there, and then I put I usually unsweetened hemp milk. I like unsweetened. I'll have hemp to try milk that though for like a frozen smoothie. That's a cool idea. Yeah, I'm sure it's that's a really like, good one. Has some health, like um, like bean sprouts or shoots, like these like not fully grown things. Uh, yeah, it's, it's in really general good for they you. seem to be really nutrient dense. It's like the nutrients yeah. kind of like expire after you know a couple of days. Or yeah. Whatever. So I put that in, and then um, my my little boy can't have peanut butter, so I'll put a big uh, scoop of like almond butter in it. Uh, and uh, I'll put, um, I can't do ox, you know, I have to, <laughs> exactly. I can't do a lot of, I used to do a ton of spinach, but right now I'm kind of trying to get away from oxalates a little bit, but if you're not, then you put a bunch of spinach in there. I'll put a couple t- tablespoons of, again, this is for four people, a couple tablespoons of hemp seed. And then I'll do a good berry mix, like blackberry, raspberry, strawberry, blueberry. Oh, yeah. And, um, I to a little bit of vanilla Vanilla. and a little bit of vanilla. I yep. like that. So I have two different ones. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this one. And then uh, I blend it up. Now I also use this Metagenics Ultra GI Replenish Shake because a lot of us have uh, gut issues and this has got some great oligosaccharides, you know, the same prebiotic and breast milk in it. Mm -hmm. And it's really good for people with digestive issues. So I'll put a few scoops of vanilla in there too, because it kind of adds a vanilla flavor to it. Yeah. Nothing like a berry and vanilla type smoothie. I love those. Yeah. Yeah. And my kids devour it. Now, if my kids are craving something sweet and they're complaining a lot, I'll do the the green bananas again, and I'll do uh, unsweetened coconut milk mm-hmm. and some vanilla, some cinnamon, a couple spoonfuls of cacao powder with almond butter and cinnamon. And I blend it up and it's a, basically a chocolate cinnamon almond so butter like shake. Creamy chai like thing. And then I put some of that ultra GI vanilla shake in it because nice. tons of vitamins and tons of, um, of a good prebiotics in it. And they just, they drink it up. They like, they think they're getting dessert for breakfast. It's great. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I'm definitely gonna have to try out the frozen bananas thing. Cause that would be interesting to experiment with. It gives it more of that yeah. kind of like slushy smoothie type of thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, frozen. So you don't have to add, especially when I do the the chocolate one, because there's nothing, there's no frozen fruit in it. So yeah. I have to make sure that I have something. I might add a few ice cubes in there too, just to make it a little bit more slushy. Yeah. My, uh, my go-to recipe is, um, a good deal of spinach, like a couple cups, um, Tons of frozen berries of whatever I have mm-hmm. or I'm feeling. Love Marion berries. If you're in Oregon, mm-hmm. like you need, like oh, yeah. if you haven't tried Marion berries, uh, and delicious. there's some people that haven't. And I'm like, oh, do you even live here in the state? <laughs> um, it's, it's like the, be- it's the best, maybe one of the best fruits or berries that I've ever tasted. <laughs> and it only like, you know, grows around here or there's like a pattern or something. In, Who knows? I think two weeks in June or something. Yeah. <laughs> Marion berries, strangely enough, if you've ever looked on the packaging, they're super high in iron. Hmm, Have you I seen didn't that? know that. It's like no. 30 or 40% daily value per serving. Interesting. It's a huh. berry that has tons of iron for whatever reason. Who knows why? Um, so yeah, it has like that deep nutritive quality and a lot of other nutrients and stuff. I like marionberries, uh, raspberries, of course, like you said, blueberries, like mixed berry blends work nice and mm-hmm. like a nice uh, like spinach and and uh, uh, and I, I use them frozen, not fresh. So they got the kind of, it yeah. gives that kind of like icy, uh, like slushiness to it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then if you want to be really fancy, 
you throw in some green apples. I, I love mm-hmm. green apple for whatever reason. Um, They're delicious. <laughs> yeah. You know, some people. Less sugar, uh, less sugar too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, apples are pretty good in terms of glycemic index. Like with the peel, they're, they're pretty good. But the green one's even better. <laughs> yeah. Are they, are they actually better? Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. Huh. So I'm a genius and I didn't even know it because <laughs> some people, as some people like, you know, red apples, yellow, apples, like they're cool and stuff, but like, there's nothing like a green apple, Granny Smith. Anyway, super segue. Uh, you want to up the fanciness, some lemon. And mm-hmm. if you want to go like super duper fancy, like some ginger. And that's oh, yeah, like, I love ginger. it's like cold and sweet and it tastes more like berries than you don't taste like spinach at all. It doesn't have much of a flavor on it. So it tastes yeah. like you're having like a really sour berry smoothie, but you just ate like three salads. Have you ever noticed yeah. like how much uh, spinach and you greens you could put in a smoothie? And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of my approach to nutrition is like fuel, you know, it's like medicine. Food is medicine, yeah. right? And yeah. you know, so- sometimes it's for enjoyment, but in general, it should be as a fuel, you know? So I, you know, would I rather drink like, you know, something that I actually, I, the example doesn't apply because I actually really like those smoothies. I actually got really, like really the into them. Too. Um, but if I didn't, you know, I would still drink them because yeah. I'm not thinking of like, the taste is like a fun afterthought to like experiment with like, like, how can I make this really healthy thing taste really good? I just like have fun with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just get, just get it down. Uh, I have a, I have a patient like that who I work with extensively um, on her diet because that's kind of what the situation entailed. I don't usually do that, but she had like, she, she was really eating like the standard American diet and she was feeling it. Yeah. Of course. So I was like, I look for the weakest leg of the chair and I start there, you know? Um, But one of the things I did was I recommended like a similar kind of smoothie recipe and explained like why it's good and whatever. Um, And she didn't like it to start with. (laughs) She kind of is like, Oh, okay. With it flavor wise. Um, So it's not like a favorite thing, but almost every day she did it. And she noticed a lot of benefits. So like, Maybe it's not like, you know, a cupcake, but maybe transferring your thinking to this is like medicine. This is fuel. It's not just about what tastes good. It's what what is good that um, that approach can work for things that you don't really necessarily, if you don't like, you know, broccoli or whatever, um, not necessarily saying to force yourself to eat it. But if there's some people who just don't like any vegetables and if you don't like any vegetables at all, my suggestion to you is just to. Uh, force yourself to eat vegetables because you need to. It's not, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you don't like vegetables, right? Well, not you, but this hypothetical I, I person. Vegetables. Yeah, I love vegetables too. <laughs> this hypothetical person doesn't like vegetables, right? Um, so if, well, obviously, I, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, okay, a person That's doesn't right. like, a person doesn't like uh, vegetables. Oh, here we go. A person doesn't like vegetables, but I bet they like feeling good. Right? Yeah, exactly. So if you, there you go. maybe you have a little bit of something you don't like to have something you do like. And I think that's every natural medicine approach is like that. It's like, yeah, you don't like what you, if you had this kind of burger and that one next to each other, like you're like, ah, I want that one, but this one may be healthier. 
um, there's benefits outside of it. And I like opening people's mind to uh, like diet and obviously other things, but diet specifically being a large determinant in your health and even mm-hmm. more like proximally or noticeable your mood. Like diet has yeah. a huge oh. impact on your mood. Huge. Huge. And, you know, I'll, you know, I'll have my, my, my kids are perfect. They're my little guinea pigs because they'll be like, <laughs> one of them will be in a really bad mood. And I'll be like, Ooh, it was special treat night last night. So how do you think that could have affected your mood a little bit? And you're like, Oh yeah, I had all that sugar and I'm feeling kind of tired and I'm kind of achy. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, well, we chose to do that, but it's just something for you to know for yourself, for the future. Yeah. That's all. Like I'm just kind of doing these little teaching moments and before we get, um, I have to tell you one more smoothie recipe. I'm sorry. Yes, please. You said, you I said love ginger smoothies. and it just, well, you won't like it because it has mango. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to opt out of the mango oh, part, but everyone oh, else feel free to enjoy everyone it on else. my behalf. Yes. It's got, <laughs> uh, I do coconut milk, mango, po- frozen pomegranate seeds. Frozen pomegranate seeds. So good with frozen blueberries and ginger. Mm. That is mm. amazing. Just Frozen pomegranate seeds is um an acai too, a acai berry. I put that a lot in my my super berry smoothies. Is there some uh nutritional benefit of the pomegranate seeds? I'm not too familiar with with pomegranates. Um, it's really really high in antioxidants. It's also got mm. those anthocyanins because the dark red to them, and I'm yeah. sure there's lots of other benefits that I can't. Yeah, seeds seeds head. tend to have a, like some nutrient. But that particular more. that particular smoothie I brought up because it's an antihistamine smoothie. So there's mm. a lot of smoothies that people with histamine issues can't have. They can't have avocados. They can't have um, bananas, both of our histamine liberators. And so mm. that's one that they can have. And so I, I like that one too. That's like the low, the low histamine diet. What is, mm-hmm. low, what is that diet? Uh, is that more for like allergic type of conditions or is that something that you would consider for autoimmune conditions as well? Um, you know, sometimes people with autoimmunity have histamine issues. It's a common thing that happens with people with mold issues. They end up having a lot of histamine issues too. Pacific Northwest. Um, or, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or, um, or people with something called mast cell activation syndrome. So that's something where they can't, they have to be very conscious of how much histamine they have in their diets. So uh, there's a lot of different things they can't have. And that's a whole other, you could have a whole podcast. Yeah. Just on things you can and can't have and why that is on mast cell activation. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, people with autoimmune are very lucky to get a plethora of every little bit of things. So yeah. yes, you could have histamine issues with autoimmune. You could also yeah. have mold issues and yeah, everything else. So, right. Right. Yeah. It's for, you know, for every specific individual or, or condition, it makes sense that some diet might be better than others. Some might be temporary. Some might be more of a way of eating for life based on Mm -hmm. your own individual characteristics. Uh, Like, for example, for me, I know like a guaranteed surefire way for me to have like a really unproductive day is to like wake up in the morning, eat like pancakes and eggs or something. It's just like, I'm just, I mean, it's like delicious. And like, it's not like I'm in a, it's not like I'm in like a bad mood or something. It's just like the amount of effort it would take to do something productive versus just watching TV. It's just like, I just know that, uh, you know, so I, I figured out intermittent fasting in the earlier day works really well for me. Cause I can, you know, get my shit done. And, uh, and then I can yeah. just like enjoy my food and not worry about anything like that. So, the, you know, yeah. it's an individualized thing and, uh, you know, everybody can read a book or look online, but I think the, the benefit of seeing a practitioner, whether it's a nutritionist, naturopath, you know, whatever, uh, whoever professional for, for health 
is that if they're a good one, they'll help you find out what's the right way for you. Like they're kind of like mm-hmm. on your team, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like the way you get an accountant to do your taxes. You don't really want to do your taxes completely on your own, no matter how much you know. Uh, or maybe you do. Maybe you learn how to do that. Um, so, yeah. So I wanted to I wanted to end this off on asking a really uh, general, open ended question, uh, so we can do some philosophizing, which I like to do. Okay. All right. Um, what What do you think causes autoimmunity? Right. Mm. So autoimmunity is your your body cells. Uh, you know, attacking uh, your immune cells, attacking your own body cells rather than a threat. And then it causes a lot of inflammation and issues. And, you know, there's like Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is, it's attacking your thyroid gland. You have all the, uh, uh, like celiac is your, I don't know, uh, your immune system is attacking your gut, et cetera, with that context, right? We, we know all that, like the, what the, the, the cells and things like that, but what, why do you think that happens in some people and doesn't happen in others? Um, mm. What is like that first step in that, in that chain, you know, what makes their well, cells attack each other? Well, the first thing I, I believe is um, gut dysbiosis mm. and meaning that the, the gut, the, the microbiota that's imbalanced, not imbalanced. And as a result, it's causing inflammation in your body. And you're more susceptible to having um, your body mistake itself and attack itself. And so that's a very, 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 very small way of saying it. So I think gut dysbiosis, because you're letting all these proteins through, your body is in kind of a compromised state. Mm. And so that's that's the mm. big prereq. Is this related for- to... Um- uh, like gut dysbiosis where, you know, they call it like leaky gut. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think like things are just more, passing they're, they're, that shouldn't. they're passing through and getting into, into your blood yeah. and, and things like that. And that causes all sorts of weird, strange phenomena to happen. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's one. Uh, another yeah. one is environmental. Mm-hmm. Um, environmental could be, you are living in a place with black mold and your body has lots of toxins in it and you're much more susceptible. Uh, it could be stress. Stress could be it. It could be a car accident, could be Mm. surgery, any sort of trauma to your body. And that trauma could be the food that you're putting in your body. It Mm -hmm. could be that accident, the stressor, the, it could be genetics. Mm -hmm. Um, that's another thing is that, you know, there's a big, uh, you know, if you have, if you have celiac, then your kids have a much higher likelihood of having celiac. Um, so there's a lot of components. And the truth of the matter is nobody really knows 100% what causes autoimmune disease, but we have lots of theories on what causes autoimmune disease. Um, mm-hmm. And so part, part of the process is removing things to figure out what are the things that are assaulting your body so that your body has an opportunity to heal itself. Yeah. The foundations of health, right? If you see a lot mm-hmm. of weeds growing in your in your garden, uh, the best way to fix that is just by pulling pulling them out with the roots and all, and then that will make your your garden uh, flourish um, rather than right. just taking off pieces of them or trying to plant other things. Um, getting even deeper into the topic, uh, and I don't I don't know if anyone has an answer to this one, but it's kind of uh, it's fun to theorize around. Um, so we're talking about autoimmune conditions in general, right? Mm -hmm. What, 
why does one person get Hashimoto's thyroiditis as an autoimmune and another person, you know, gets celiac or some other, like, why is it autoimmunity of a specific organ versus another? Because if, if it was just general autoimmunity, uh, you know, what is, why, why is it organ specific? The really philosophical question. I know these are hard ones. That's why I left them to the end. I was going to say, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> right, it blew your mind? <laughs> I'm trying yeah, to figure well, out myself. Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it a little bit back at you because mm-hmm. when somebody has one autoimmune disease, they have a lot, they're yeah. much more likely to get Yeah, they usually like, come in uh, together. And, they, they like uh, to collect them like, like, yeah. like baseball cards. Yeah. So, so the question is, yeah. okay, so they have one. Well, then why do they have another? Is it because of the gut dysbiosis? Is it because of the mm, trigger the never factors. initially got addressed? Mm. And that's why they continue to collect them? Or is it, and if you address the underlying cause, and yeah. that's what naturopaths do is yeah. they find their whole goal is to find the underlying cause. So mm-hmm. with autoimmune disease, why is it that organ and why did they get, why isn't it a different one? Could it have been something completely different? Is it the way they were eating? Is it the, is it because that, that particular organ was maybe they feel more stress in their joints and that's why they got rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that if we, you don't address the underlying cause mm-hmm. and nutrition being a big portion of that and stress and sleep, and mm. exercise and environment and uh, genetics, then you'll you have a much more high propensity yeah. to get it in the first place. Yeah, yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense. And what you said about genetics, I just want to mm. uh, add on to their uh, epigenetics. So you're not necessarily mm. uh, cursed just because you have the genetics. It just means you have a no. predisposition, and it means that mm-hmm. if if everything goes default mode more likely to happen. Right. But, um, maybe there's an epigenetic twist where if you have certain factors, like a certain kind of diet, you live a certain kind of life, you get certain kind of nutrients, et cetera, that, that, you know, genetic predisposition to something bad could actually be a genetic predisposition to something good. Maybe they just had the bad yes. side. Right. Cause we got to think about evolution, right? Why were those things right. preserved? Right. There's no, there's no accidents in nature, I, I think, um, mm-hmm. although, you know, some people would say, oh, it's all just accidents uh, on a mutation level. Um, maybe, but the result isn't an accident, right? It's well adapted to the environment. And if it didn't help, then it wouldn't be something that would exist. Well, here's a, here's a, a little segue for you is that I, um, I was, I'm really into, I love genetics. I think it's super fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I, um, signed up for this thing called Geno Palette and it looks at your genes and tells you your propensity to have different things and mm-hmm. what genes you have and yada yada. And I um it said that I have an incredibly like three times the risk of having type 2 diabetes mm. because of my because of my genetic disposition which didn't surprise me because of my family history there was a lot of trauma in my family history mm-hmm. and people with a lot of family trauma have actually a higher propensity if there's a starvation mode to that to actually having mm. type two diabetes. They've looked at those genetics and um, it said I had this very, very high, high risk. But if you say, they asked me a bunch of questions. Do I smoke? How often do I eat fast food? How often do I exercise? And once I started adding all these things, all of a sudden my likelihood, even though I have these genes went from, I have mm. an 80% chance down to a 10% chance. That's based a really on good my point. Lifestyle. That's a, that's so a really good point. So just because you, 
Right. Just because you have cancer genes, just because you have autoimmune, maybe you have the genetic predisposition doesn't mean that you don't have control. It means yeah. that you actually have an opportunity to have a better chance of making sure that doesn't happen by taking taking steps to try to mitigate it. Yeah. And you know, the that's the purpose of, I guess, genetics and epigenetics is to make us adaptable. You know, if we couldn't adapt to certain kinds of adversities or that kind of thing, like it would have been really rough. Like even taking something like diabetes, right? Like super high blood sugar, right. even after small amounts. If you're like in a place where you're hardly eating, like, is there a benefit to actually having like, you know, they probably wouldn't even have diabetes by our definition because if they weren't eating a lot, but um, even like, uh, I think about like thyroid disease and stuff, is that like differing metabolism predispositions for, you know, people lived in a certain area, maybe it's like it's colder, there's scarcity. Mm-hmm. Like I wonder about all those things. Like um, this isn't to say that those things are good, but um, especially for us now, because a lot of times we're kind of removed from the factors where it would even be helpful. Mm-hmm. But it's just to say that uh, there's like a kind of two sides of the coin. Uh, of predispositions, of of genetics and, and, and things like that. And it's just the classic, uh, you know, in philosophy, we always, the, one of the common debates is, you know, around fate and like free will, around like, you know, nature and nurture. There's been this mm-hmm. ongoing debate for like, as long as humans could speak, as, as far as I've seen, about like, is everything that's going to happen the way it's going to happen? Or like, do we have like a lot of influence on it or somewhere in between, right? Because the genetic equation of like being written on, you know, stone is that like, I have no free will, I have no agency, my body just does what it does. And I don't, Mm -mm. and then the other one is is just the opposite, uh, which is everything I do is my responsibility. And there's kind of like goods and negatives for both viewpoints, I would say. Imagine a world where all of our patients came to us and they said, I'm coming to you because my family member has cancer or my family member has autoimmune wow. disease. Yeah. And I want to make sure that I, that I want not, not make sure, but I want to do everything I can to try to prevent the same outcome. What yeah. if everyone came to us then? That's, that's, that's a, that's, yeah, that would be amazing. Um, and you know, that that's kind of opposed to the other version of that, which is, you know, all the statistics that go out about heart disease and things like that. And people just like, um, they generally want to do preventative measures uh, of like developing some kind of like cardiovascular risk and things like that, mm-hmm. even though they might not have any family predisposition. Um, all to say that your point of, if somebody in your family has some issue, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree in a lot of ways, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean you can't pick up that apple and, you know, make a smoothie out of it. <laughs> exactly. That's a good way to end it. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Stephanie, thank you so much. Uh, really enjoyed talking to you. Um, and uh, how can people uh, find your work? What's your uh, website? Uh, my website is uh, nutritionforautoimmunity.com. It's good all name. one word. Thank you. And um, they That's can go on. They can go, thank you. They can go online and they can uh, either request a, I do a free discovery call or it's a 15 minute free visit just to see if we're a good fit. Um, or they can just shoot me an, uh, an email too at info at nutritionforautoimmunity.com. Beautiful. And uh, where are you working in? Uh, are you in Portland or? 
Yeah, I work out of Portland, Oregon, but I work totally virtually. So I can see people nice. all over the place. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank Hope you guys you. enjoyed the Herbal Hour podcast. We had a great episode today.